episode of Video Game Logic. Today's show was recorded on January the 2nd, 2018. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, feeling slightly worse for wear. Uh, caffeine rage. Okay, I'm not on that to- bad yet. On today's show, we will, of course, be discussing the games that we've played over these last couple of weeks. We'll be discussing, a little late, the December Game Club, which is Kerbal Space Program. We'll be revealing our next Game Club game. We have our weekly community corner. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Hello, Rach. How are you? Well, I think you already know that I'm uh, coming down with the, I guess this would be the uh, 2K18 bug. (laughs) Yeah, no, basically you've just become a part of my family, so you are involved in the round robin of Cygnus. I want a divorce. (laughs) Well, since none of us have married you, we can't divorce you. Maybe we could unadopt you uh, or Well, at least with that attitude. Something like that. <laughs> Poor Rage. I'm sorry. Yeah, I woke up today with a bit of a sore throat that just hasn't gone away all day. And I've had an occasional cough, uh, some interesting uh, uh, mucus discharge. Yep, I know what that's like. I record like 50 to 60% of our shows with allergy issues, so... That is quite common for me, so I feel your pain. Yeah, you're like season one Daniel Jackson. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. I've been thinking about going back and watching that here recently. And for those who don't know, Stargate. Yeah. Uh, Stargate. Uh, probably SG-1. my favorite uh, uh, of the, well, really just, just about any sci-fi series because it's a lot more realistic in sci-fi. Than, well, I know. Uh, as realistic as you could get with, you know, wormholes that take you across the galaxy in just a matter of seconds, but uh, it's uh, uh, gritty. It's not too dark. It's very lighthearted, actually. Yeah. It's, but it still it's, has its uh, intense moments. Yeah, yeah. It, it knows how to, to walk that line, you know, between being like, too silly and too dark. Like, there are dark episodes and dark arcs, but there's also lots of silly, funny things that happen. Like Window of Opportunity. <laughs> What's the uh, the episode where that Teal'c and O'Neill are stuck in a time loop? Window of Opportunity. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I'm... You're, you're good with episode names, I guess. That's your... Oh, it's my favorite episode. That's a really good one. Where he talks about being the king of Groundhog Day. <laughs> yeah. I love how they, they take that little break between seriously trying to figure out how to get out, and then they start, like, uh, hitting golf balls into the, the Stargate, and uh, Jack... Uh, uh, learning how to do pottery. Yeah, and juggling. <laughs> Which, actually, Richard Dean Anderson, uh, before he became an actor, was a street juggler. Didn't know that. Learn something new every day. Yeah, turns out MacGyver juggled. <laughs> oh, I love MacGyver too. I I watched uh, I watched MacGyver because of SG One. Yeah, MacGyver has that sort of just silly eighties, uh, sort of uh, realistic, but at the same time not. Yeah, uh, vibe to it. Granted, I haven't really. Wa- I never watched the reboot uh, of uh, MacGyver. 
I haven't either. I didn't even realize there was one until uh, I was at the hospital one time. And, uh, they had the TV on, and it was one of the few times that they didn't have Fox News on, thankfully. And uh, there was the uh, commercial about what's coming on at uh, primetime that day, and it was Hawaii Five-0 and MacGyver. It's like, what decade am I in? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Hawaii Five O man! I've I think I've seen one episode of that one time, and I was like, "Eh, it's not for me." Anyways, welcome to the Video Game Logic Podcast, where we occasionally <laughs> talk about video games. Easy there, Total Biscuit. Before we jump into the games that we played this week, I do want to say thanks to everyone who sent me a game as a Christmas and or New Year's present. I got I a few. You. I believe I thanked everybody personally, but. Just in case, thanks everyone for all the games. I've got a couple of them on the list this week, um, and yeah, the rest and, uh, will show up here. in uh, the weeks to come. I picked up a couple from uh, listeners, and I did send out some as well. So, yes, indeed, I sent out a few as well. So, thanks for the thanks for the games, and I hope everyone enjoys their games. The well, I guess by the time this comes out, the Steam sale will be over, but we've got a couple more days to buy games. Someone and I've got a few bucks left in my Steam wallet, so who knows? Some people might receive a few more random games from me before this is over. You're going to find the weirdest shit in my uh, wish list, aren't you? I'm going to find something really cheap that's really weird and send it to everyone. Oh, I God. usually do that. I usually do that every sale or every other sale. It's the gift that keeps on giving. The gift of weirdness. Or at least it gives some uh, Steam training cards. Usually, there you go. But anyway, speaking of games, both of us have rather large lists because it's been two weeks since we recorded an episode. Three, last isn't week. It? Well, last uh, week was the award show, which we pre-recorded. The week before that was a Franken episode because my internet was out all Tuesday, which is when we record, and I wasn't able to make uh, be able to record one fresh for that week. So, but the week before that was a live episode. Yeah. So I guess it just depends on how you want to look at it, but it's been a while. So we've got a lot of games that we've each played. So between that and the fact that Rage is headed towards the the sixth station, we're just going to alternate games this week. So Rage, yeah, do you want to go first? I went or? off this crazy train. <laughs> do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Uh, I could go first. This is a short one. Okay. Uh, How about an ARPG that technically has loot but doesn't really? It's a weird, weird thing. It's called Wild Buster Heroes of Titan MMO or ARPG. Uh, yeah, because they had to throw just random shit into the title, huh? I have this game. Yeah. Was uh, this a key mailer giveaway? Yes, it was. Okay. All right. Uh, trust me, uh, if you paid for it, I would feel very sorry for you. Uh, because I, I decided to try out, you know, I'll. I've actually gotten a bit of a taste for ARPGs, so I wanted to try this out. And it, the combat is just utterly bland. I mean, it, MMOs already have a bit of a problem with uh, their combats, how uh, most of them are, you know, sit and watch the animations and occasionally hit a button. You know, the WoW style of uh, combat. And occasionally you'll hit something that's a bit different, like Wildstar, where you have a lot more active movement uh, I guess uh, Guild Wars would be another good example, but Wildstar is the one I played. 
Uh, this very bland combat, only a handful of abilities. Oh, and also you can't really choose your abilities. You ha- each slot has a choice of like, I think it was three or four abilities and that's it. Okay. So that's strike one. Strike two is technically it has loot, but all the loot automatically gets loaded to your inventory. So there's no picking up. So you have a lot of trash in your inventory usually. And I was just seeing uh, pretty much the same things over and over and over and over again. And there's that psychological thing of seeing things on the ground and picking them up. Uh, that yeah. uh, uh, resonates a lot more than just it automatically it's put in your inventory. I realize it is a quality of life thing, but at the same time, there's a psychological element to seeing the loot kind of explode off a boss, you know? But seeing all the, you know, uh, the boss uh, play its death animation and then having your, the icon say, hey, you got more loot, doesn't really do it. Yeah, that whole loot pinata thing is mm-hmm. is psychologically very attractive. Uh, so that's strike two. Strike three is, okay, uh, how about an an ARPG where it's all rage combat, all right? You know, th- that could work. That could work because, uh, yeah, a lot of ARPG is about uh, dodging. Uh, well, well, I should say a few uh, ARPGs uh, are, have a good dodge mechanic. All the rage combat is hit scan. Instant hits. No way to avoid damage, so you're constantly chugging health potions. At least in the early game. I can only imagine what the late game is like. Yeah, that's frustrating. Because being able to dodge is pretty important in ARPGs. Uh, especially, you know, ones that are range focus. Oh, and this one also has uh, Sirius Sam and Duke Nukem. And uh, you would think, oh, well, okay, so they're their own characters. No, they're skins. For uh, for pre-established classes, and you can only use the uh, those. Uh, the, here's the odd thing: is that you can only use those skins on a particular class. So if you buy the uh, whatever uh, deluxe edition or ultimate edition or whatever has those skins, you have to play that class to be able to use that uh, cosmetic. It's just odd. Yeah, that's weird. Usually, stuff like that is just you know across the board a, a cosmetic mm-hmm. thing you can apply. Yeah, and I'm not even sure if the uh, armor was changing the models whatsoever. I couldn't really tell a difference, which is also a, kind of a bag spot on it. Uh, and this is an uh, MMO ARPG, so yo, it's online only, which for a uh, an indie game that's uh, multiplayer only, that's usually a bad sign because yo, these games could just disappear in a heartbeat. It has a twenty dollar buy in on the cheap side of things. Can you tell I don't like this? Yeah, it feels like... Well, it looks like... It looks like it wants to be Diablo 3, but without Blizzard's uh, money backing it. Well, what I was going to say is this looks like um, quite a few ARPGs I've seen on uh, mobile devices, like iPad. Yeah, I'm not sure if this has a mobile version or not. I would be surprised if it doesn't. I don't think... Because it just... All the combat feels very imprecise yeah it's not on uh android i don't see it on the app store either but it's more difficult to search the app store from uh their website because it's 
just a garbage. Well, that's assuming that it's yo not on a different name or something. Yeah, that's true. Because damn, it does. It really does resemble a mobile game, though. Yeah, it's just highly uninspired. Which, if uh, you know, if it had good combat, I could forgive it not looking all that great because you know, graphics aren't everything. But it's just ugly. It's generic. And no, sir, I don't like it. <laughs> and it has an absolutely huge price tag for what it is. Because that's the other you know, thing, is that this is a $20 buy-in. Yeah. Looks like if you want everything right now, it's 80 bucks Because the $20 price tag is going to go away after the Steam sale. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I forgot about the sale. Yeah, it's... it. Yeah, it's 25 bucks normally. Yeah. You can get the deluxe edition right now for thirty-one bucks and some change, but I don't know why you would. I don't know. It's got the first two DLCs, the Founder and Deluxe DLC, but the Deluxe doesn't have the collectors. You have to get the Ultimate to get the collectors, mm-hmm. which is fifty-two dollars. Oh, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, and the thing is that uh, all that adds is just character slots, which. I don't know why you'd need that many character slots. There's only a handful of classes in the game already. Granted, this is an early access, so... Uh, extra bank slots, which, okay, I, uh, I get that. An amount, which honestly didn't use. It's just... Uh, it's, it's just... Why? Yeah. If this was, uh, you know, uh, a lot cheaper, I could understand it, uh, uh being this generic and this kind of meh uh, with some uh, questionable design decisions that could be fixed in, throughout early access. I mean, that's the thing is that it could be fixed. But the thing is also, I, I, I don't think it's going to have the player base to support it. Does it really encourage, like when you're running dungeons, does it encourage you to go with other people or by yourself or does well, it do granted, the general I, thing where everything's instance? I think everything is instanced and you can do groups, but honestly, only thing I saw in uh, the global chat, oh, oh, let's put, let's preface this. The day I played this was the day that the net neutrality announcement came down. All right. Okay. Or, or the, uh, yeah, the ruling on that. So there was a political troll uh, in chat uh, talking about how, uh, the FCC was protecting the internet and causing this political shitstorm. And as far as I could tell, there's no way to mute the chat. You could only block individual people. So that may have also colored my dislike of it because, you know, seeing that uh, on that day is already bad. And when the game isn't that great to begin with. Yeah. I mean, there was literally the line. Well, uh, net neutrality going away doesn't mean anything because we're still able to connect to this game. Right. We're, and we won't get into that any deeper right now. We're going to save that topic for later. But I remember you telling me about that. So that's what you were playing then. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. And also poo. Probably more poo than cool. Oh, definitely. All right. Is that is that it before I just yeah. jump in? Okay, so the first game on my list is Elite Dangerous. This was on last time, and even during the awards show, I kind of went on about a couple of things in it. But 
the last couple of weeks I've been further exploring all the new systems that they've added to the game, like particularly the passenger transport, because aside from just revamping the pay scale and changing a few little things here and there on the, the combat side, that's pretty much the same. Um, and I talked about the mining changes last time when I talked about it. So uh, aside from just getting more into the power play, which is the political part that they added to the game and then doing passenger missions and some new exploration stuff. I hadn't, you know, those were some big areas that I was still missing. And, uh, the power play really opens up when you first join a faction, your first week, you can only do, um, Intel, like you can deliver Intel packets and like weapons and stuff like that. And that's the primary way that you advance through the ranks anyways, is you earn lots and lots of basically brownie points by delivering all of these uh, either intel packets on to stations or if they need like weapons or supplies or whatever. Basically just... Haw bitch. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but in the beginning, that's all you can do. You have to spend your first week doing that. But once you start gaining ranks with your, your, uh, your power play faction, you start earning points that you can use to vote on actions within the faction and there's a vote every week or two it depends on exactly how much action there is going on like is one of your sectors under attack or um has there been like a huge or a a large build up in a neighboring faction that you want to go take down or something like that and so you vote on that and there's big discussions and chats on what to do with those and the faction that i'm in is basically just maintaining right now because the federation and the empire are both pretty heavily invested in the thargoid what's going on with the thargoid invasion and all well not all but most of the community events revolve around the thargoid invasion and repairing the stations where they got hit and things like that so the the two biggest players are basically just holding right now while we figure out all this alien stuff so that's been good it's allowed me to build up to rank three in the faction so i get um points to vote every week plus i get like a a faction stipend every week um and that goes up as your rank goes up although getting to the upper ranks uh like the top tier ranks where you get the like really big like 50 million credit bonuses a week would take a huge investment just because the amount of points you'd need to earn but there is some conflict brewing so when i get back from my massive exploration mission i'm gonna go participate in some community events and hopefully participate in a faction war to take over a sector um the other thing that i've been doing a lot is the passenger missions which are pretty interesting they broadly fall into like three categories there's basic transportation so some passengers want to go from point a to point b you they um you board them onto your ship and when they get to their destination you're paid some money or some items or a combination of the two and if you meet certain criteria like they'll have little bonus criteria in the missions like even though we're going here we'd like to take a sightseeing trip there or uh you can get like higher up like named passengers sometimes we'll have special objectives like i'm being hunted by an assassin and you seem like a capable pilot if you kill the assassin during our flight you'll i'll give you this bonus um but those are all just point a to point b 
and sometimes they have little bonuses you can get. Then there's also um, sightseeing trips where that a passenger wants to go out and view some things, and the basically the payout of the mission determines how many things they want to do. So if it's like a million credits, you might go to one or two destinations for sightseeing. If it's five or ten million, there'll be a bunch of them. Or the the distance will be really far. Like there's all of the sightseeing missions take place within the human sphere of control. So you're not really exploring. You just might have to go a long way away. And so there'll be a bigger payout for that mission. And then there's the exploration passenger missions where that you take a crew of scientists or explorers to somewhere in unexplored space and you scan down the sector and then find like some specific points for them and then bring them back. And so I've been taking all of these missions, but I avoided the exploration mission because I'm like, I don't want to go 10 or 20 or 30,000 light years away from my destination and then come back. That would take forever. But I did get kind of not bored, but just like curious, like, I wonder what this would be. And then I was like, well, my exploration rank is the lowest because you have a combat rank, a trader rank and exploration rank. And the, the, like the top rank is elite. And then if you get all three elite, you're classified as elite dangerous. Oh, I, I, I see what they did there. Yeah. You see what they did there? Roll credits. Um, but my exploration rank was the lowest. And I was like, you know what? I want to get that exploration rank up. I've got a pretty decent ship for doing both passenger and exploration type missions. So I'm going to accept one of these. And so I, I accepted a mission. It was like 29 or 30,000 light years away. So I'm like, all right, here we go. So I've spent the last several days doing this. And uh, I definitely am not going to do it again when I get back because it's a huge time investment. It's been at least 20 hours to go out there and get back to where I am. And I'm about halfway back. So you're saying Elite Dangerous is a time sink? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's been good, though. Um, I mean, if I was just playing, I would get really bored, honestly. Like, exploration could be cool. There's some cool sights to see and some neat things. Like, whereas, like, um, No Man's Sky is 100% procedural and, like, very artsy and, you know paintbrushy like 1950s sci-fi uh elite dangerous tries to model our galaxy as best as it can on science um but there's still some very beautiful Haven't they things, also like, changed some systems based on discoveries yeah they they have done that uh but seeing a binary or even like a trine would it be trinary star system is really beautiful so there have been moments where I'm like, oh, wow, that looks really cool. Let me take a few screenshots or let me go down and check out this planet that looks really neat from space. Permission there... to buzz the tower or the trinary star system. Yeah, there there have been points where it's been really pretty. And every once in a while I'll go, okay, I need to just like actually explore this system and categorize some stuff. So I'm not just jump, 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 jump. Uh, I'm I... just imagining uh, you uh, EVA out with a label maker. <laughs> mine i've actually got a few star systems that i am going to get the first time discovery bonus on so that's pretty cool well, but there's still discovery but uh just like that in the game yeah there's only been an estimated one percent of the galaxy completely mapped outside of the human sphere that's actually impressive very few uh, most is people... it completely empty out there or 
no, there's a lot of stuff out there to find. Even pretty far, even up, up to a few thousand light years outside of the human sphere, you occasionally will, f- well, I mean, not occasionally, they've been mapped and they're known, but there are human resor- uh, research bases and asteroid bases and people who just, you know, outlaws that and pirates that don't want to be a part of any of the actual governments. Eventually, you get to a point, though, where there's nothing except just what you want to explore. But, I mean, there are people who discover planetary landmarks and interesting things in space, like notable comets or star systems. I found one system, and it, well, I didn't find it. It had been previously discovered. But it actually had five stars in it. Uh, And it's got two stars that look like they're about to uh, collide and collapse into... um, some sort of black hole or something. So, Uh, in other words, you don't want to be around when that happens? You definitely don't want to be there when that happens. But there is a lot of cool stuff, and there's a difference in um, the galactic core versus the outer rim of the galaxy, and there are... Yeah, you gotta watch out for those rim worlds. They get a little crazy. Hi-yo. But I, I don't have an exploration ship that's capable of getting to the outer rim of the galaxy even my my actual true 100 percent equipped for ex- exploration ship bleh, equipped for exploration ship can only jump about 40 light years which is not enough to get to some of the stars on sort of the edge of the galaxy there are ships that can do it and you can equip your ships properly for it but i just don't have the money or the experience to do so yet and that's something i may do but Honestly, exploration doesn't interest me very much. I just kind of want to check the box for Elite Dangerous. but And then put uh, away your joystick? No, definitely not. There were mistakes that were made, though. Like, if I had made a few more changes to my ship, it wouldn't have taken quite so long because my uh, hyperspace jump distance would be longer. Yeah, this is going kind of long. I'm thinking to myself, ah, 25 light years, that's enough because that's my jump range. But, God, it's a long way. It's a long way. So when I get back, I'm really hoping it ticks up to Elite Dangerous. But that's what I've been doing in Elite. Hopefully by this time next week, I'll be back at the Starbase. I only have about 800 jumps left, and I'll be back home. Only. Only 800. But uh, that's that's it for now. I, I'll probably talk about it next week again if I get back in time to actually check out some of the new community events and goals. Because the only one that I've done since then I mentioned on the award show, which was the rescue mission after the Thargoids attacked the station, the, that first station. Which, that was really cool. And the missions definitely appear to have evolved from the early days, but I haven't actually tried out any of the other ones yet. So, if I get there in time, I'll talk about it next week. Otherwise, it'll be the next week. But, Yeah. I wound up talking about this longer than I thought I would, so on to you. So, uh, how about uh, probably the biggest surprise I've had in quite a while, Omega Quintet. I went into this expecting dumb anime game, and, you know, I'm uh, perfectly fine with that. And yes, it was dumb anime game, but actually had a very complex and interesting battle system that, if you could appreciate or get past depending on uh well for you definitely appreciate but for most people get past the odd setting it's actually an interesting uh rpg system so this is sort of a mixture of jrpg uh, auto game and visual novel okay 
I know. I have your attention. <laughs> this is set in a world where pretty much humanity is limited to just a couple of cities, and this takes place in, the, uh, in one of them. Uh, where this, well, I want to call it demonic force, but they never really said what it was yet because I only put a few hours into this game. Uh, just appears out of nowhere and only these magical girls who also happen to be, uh, you know, Japanese idols are able to uh, fight them through the power of music. <laughs> yes. And you can see why I went to this with uh, certain expectations, but. Uh, the combat system is very deep. It, uh, plays a lot on, well, not just, uh, you know, your standard elemental, uh, uh, affinities, you know, certain, uh, monsters are weak to certain elements, that sort of thing, but also each type of weapon, uh, the girls can equip has, uh, certain ranges on them and you're able to, uh, uh, push, uh, monsters back or, uh, you know, jump forward to get into range. It's, a very deep system. And there's a lot there if you want to try to min-max it. But it's also simple enough. And with the DLC, which is pretty much mostly cheats uh, and power-ups, uh, you're able to just power through it if you really want to. It's an interesting uh, little game. And there's also the uh, uh, clothing uh, damage model where uh, most of your... Stat boosts are just pure level ups, you know, uh, pure level up stat boosts. But there's also uh, the only real equipment is your weapons. That I didn't get any new weapons yet. I'm not sure if that's just a later thing. I only got through a few of the chapters before I did my first impression to this. But uh, there's uh, clothing that you could equip for various power ups as well. But as you take damage, uh, you uh, take clothing damage. So you know where this is going. Yeah. Bring out them anime breasts for exposed for our pleasure. Oh, uh, well, not that far. I mean, this is on Steam. <laughs> Fair play. But yeah, an actually somewhat deep RPG. Uh, Grand the story probably is not going to be all that great because it is a rather cutesy light story with a dark setting. It's odd. <laughs> so it doesn't make me think that they're going to really resolve a lot. And there's this uh, sort of uh, support relationship uh, thing going on as well between the male main character uh, and uh, the, well, uh, when I stop playing the three girls, but there's obviously going to be five just based on uh, the UI and also the uh, trailer for their game. The, you know, and that's pretty much the standard you know, five group anyway. Uh, but there's this support system that also uh, throws uh, in power-ups and uh, be able to uh, build up relationships with the various girls to uh, get extra cutscenes and uh, uh, extra storylines. It's an interesting thing. Uh, visually, outside of combat, it is rather drab. It's an early PlayStation 4 game that got ported over. so And it doesn't look like a PlayStation 4 game, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> It looks like PlayStation 3 era, you know? Yeah. Which, I mean, when you do the whole anime style thing, I, I think that's more well, acceptable. Well, well, I'm not, well, I'm not talking about the character models. I'm talking about uh, the world model. It uh, looks very jarring compared to the uh, to the character models and the uh, monsters. 
Um, you okay. could look at some of the screenshots and it's very, uh, uh, low poly, low resolution. For lack of a better term, there's a lot of reusing of, uh, assets. Uh, not just, uh, monsters, even though there's a lot of, uh, reskins on monsters and, uh, reskins have vastly different abilities. So if you're on a harder difficulty where that matters or you're later in the game where that may matter, it could, uh, screw you because, Oh, I thought that monster was, uh, yeah, the red variant, but it's the blue variant. Grand, you can, uh, look at, uh, the in-game, uh, beast, uh, uh, beast list to see what it does. And the, the bestiary? Well, I, I didn't want to use the wrong term, especially with an anime game. Yeah, fair play. Fair play. <laughs> uh, and that's also one of the DLCs, and they throw in a lot of the free DLCs. I would actually suggest if you want a real challenge on this game, turn most of them off, because a lot of them are cheats. And that may be a downside of the game. And there's also a few extra DLCs that aren't thrown in for free that are definitely cheats or just uh, costume packs, which is fine, I guess. But I really dislike the this whole pay-to-cheat thing that's uh, kind of popped up into games. Yeah. I uh, I remember you talking about this a couple of weeks ago. Like, you mentioned it to me, and you're yeah. like, yeah, I'm going to talk about this. So I went and requested it on KeyMailer, and I got a key. Oh. I haven't played it yet, but I've been looking forward to it. Because I've been looking for a JRPG to play here recently. Just I just got the bug, you know? I want to mm-hmm. play through one, because it's been a while. And yeah. rather than playing The Last Remnant again, or the garbage PC ports of any of the Final Fantasy games, I've been looking for a new one. Yeah, well, let's put it this way. Uh, unlike The Last Remnant, this one actually uh, explains its uh, battle system. Well, that's good. Uh, I will say that... Uh, it doesn't explain it perfectly because, well, there's various ranges and uh, certain abilities. Let's say, that, I'm trying to remember just how many ranges there are. I want to say five, you know, from near to far. And abilities are strongest at certain ranges, but uh, uh, could uh, have a drastic drop off. So if you pick the wrong ability, you may end up with an ability that. Uh, doesn't gel quite well with that uh, character's uh, playstyle. Like, one of the girls, uh, by default, absolutely loves her sniper rifle. Uh, she's very shy and timid, and uh, she doesn't want to get too close to combat. Uh, so she uh, picked a sniper rifle and uh, wants to, you know, snipe from a distance. But if you pick a, an ability that uh, is stronger up close, then it may not uh, gel well with her uh, Playstyle, unless you change your weapons. That sort of thing. And the other real downside of this game is that it, well, I said it reuses assets, but it also reuses the map quite a bit. Where you'll go to an area and it's, uh, has, well, uh, uh, not invisible walls. It's visible walls, but you you, uh, don't unlock them right away. You do a mission there, uh, 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 complete that, go back to base, uh, turn in the mission, uh, do a few cutscenes, uh, go back and a new section's unlocked, and the next mission goes there, and it's reusing the same areas over and over again. There's a lot of recycling in this game, and it's probably its biggest downfall. Gotcha. Interesting. This whole 
um, visual novel plus some kind of RPG. I feel like this has just suddenly appeared. Yeah, I mean, this has been a thing in visual novels before. This isn't new, but uh, the visual novel uh, aspect of it is actually uh, not uh, you know, 2D drawings, but a- the actual models uh, in the emote quite a bit. Oh, okay. Which I have to say was a little jarring at first because the uh, the visual novel thing, uh, they'll suddenly jump up in front of one another and uh, it looks weirder with uh, full 3D models. Uh, okay. Especially since they don't really animate that, they just move a model forward uh, in the in the frame. Okay, yeah, I could I see how that could be weird. And uh, it's uh, not as bad whenever it's two D drawings, but three uh, D models, it's uh, just odd. Yeah, I have I have two of these visual novels plus RPG gameplay on my list, so I don't know, I. I was checking the dates. It looks like these are actually slightly older games. So this has been around longer than I thought, but I just feel like they've suddenly become more popular. Maybe is the right way to say it. Well, this is bit, well, this is an older game. It was a PS4 uh, launch title or not quite launch title, but first year. So this is just a game coming to PC a lot later. Yeah. Maybe it's also, it's that sort of thing starting to become more popular in the States too. Yeah. So these older games are suddenly rising to the top, even though they've been around for a while. Yeah, I, yeah, I've heard some people talking about how uh, they didn't like the voice acting for this. I didn't think it was that bad, but if you want, there's the option for the Japanese voice acting, which is nice. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that should be pretty much standard on JRPGs, but uh, voice actors uh, are a lot more respected in Japan. <laughs> And they yep. uh, t- uh, tend to have a lot better contracts for uh, better or worse. I'm not sure how I feel about that because of uh, how the voice actors, uh, how the acting guild here did some odd things with uh, trying to unionize or, well, I should say their union trying to really strangle gaming for lack yeah. of a better term because there was some outrageous demands that they were making. But overall, not a, uh, not a bad game and a real surprise because, yo, know, going into an idol game, I had low expectations. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to check it out now. I might play that this week. <laughs> um, so the next game on my list is feels somewhat similar to mm-hmm. what you just said, Fairy Fencer F. It is a visual JRPG visual novel, um... Where that these all of the story bits are told through a visual novel, although it's a fully acted visual novel, so that's interesting. I I was surprised to find that out. There are certain bits that aren't voice acted, uh, like if you just are interacting with a random NPC character, but otherwise, all of the main bits and so far, several of the side quests have been fully voice acted. Uh, because it's told through a visual novel style, the entire game is basically played through a menu, which is fine. Um, the art style is really, I mean, it's your standard fare, but they did a good job. Whoever they had do the art did a good job. The backgrounds are really nice to look at. Um, although the game for the battle system and then where you're in the dungeon, though, you do take third uh, person control of the party leader and will run through the dungeon areas. That is nowhere near as good. This 
game released in 2015. I don't know if it's a port of an older game or if just the people who designed it weren't quite as good at the rest of the bits that weren't the visual novel uh, art and panels. But they're noticeably low poly, which is, I mean, it's fine. I don't care about video game graphics most of the time, but if you're this, or if you do care, you might not like that as much. The battle system is turn-based, but it plays out in a 3D space. So, um, just it like classic Final Fantasy style, you'll see who's next on the turn counter, and then you get to take their turn and you move them around the 3D space and perform attacks. There's magic attacks, physical melee attacks, there's ranged weapons. And the game gets the fairy fencer name from the fact that all of these magical weapons are imbued with fairies who are basically anime girls uh, that pop out whenever you use the weapons. Although your primary weapon, like the first weapon that you bond with, uh, that fairy becomes like your sidekick and she's around all the time. When you get Whether you want her to or not. She's actually a pretty good character. The main character, I don't like him so far. His name is Fang. And he's, like, a lazy asshole. So I'm hoping that he has, like, a character arc that that builds him up throughout. But his fairy sidekick, she's pretty cool. Uh, she's really driven. But essentially, the, the gist of the game, which I think this is the whole gist of it, it gets spelled out to you within, like, the first hour. You're There's this war that's been going on for thousands of years between um, gods and fairies and monsters and humans and these magical weapons were empowered by the old gods so they're more powerful than the other gods and whoever can collect all of the magical weapons and unite them into one gains the power of the old gods and can stop the war and that's what you're trying and then to they do. summon the mortal dragon there might be some of that i'm not sure yet i've only played it for about an hour um it basically melted my laptop and is frustrating to play without a controller. So I played it a little bit on my desktop as well, and yeah, it runs uh, much better. Yeah, Mega Quintet was uh, pretty much that, but it had full key bondings. Uh, I forgot to mention that. There's some odd keyboard uh, bondings in that thing, but I was playing it with a controller. Yeah, but uh, Fairy Fencer overall is really good and interesting. Um, uh, fourth wall break, Rage stepped away for a moment, but... I'm going to just repeat this for him. It's got a uh, fully voice acted visual novel and the voice acting is surprisingly really well done, at least so far. The only parts that haven't been voice acted are like the, the tertiary quests that you can go on. Like the, the primary quests and the secondary quests are all voice acted, but like the little random, Hey, go collect 10 bear asses is, was not voice acted, but it's good. Pretty much the same for a mega quintet then. It's, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of funny that we uh, kind of uh, synced up with that. Yeah, it's it's got really good art style, really good visual novel storytelling. It seems to be a bit cliched, but when it's done well, I'm okay with cliche. And not like the schlocky kind of cliche, just sort of, oh, uh, this story's been done before. But it feels like whoever wrote it and put it together really was, was putting their heart into this game. Um so the, the the battle system so far is a little bit wonky, but I, I'll get used to it, I think. I'm just so used to I've only ever played one other game that has this sort of 3D full movement space turn-based JRPG thing, um, but it, it seems to work pretty effectively. I don't have a big party yet, so that might change things, but good. it's good. 
overall, it's good. And it's super cheap, too. I mean, the base game is 3 bucks. Uh, I haven't gotten any of the DLC, but right now, if you bought the base game and all of the DLC, it would be $6 plus tax, so 7 bucks total for everything. So I would, I'd totally recommend this if you're looking for a cheap JRPG. Well, so, speaking yeah. of uh, cheap things. Go for it. Uh, so how about a game that I went into with low expectations and was unsurprised? Bridge Constructor Portal. Oh, boy. Oh, where to start with this? This game fulfilled my wish for, for Portal. Unfortunately, it's the Monkey Paul Corrupted uh, fulfillment of a witch. Because th- this is a weak bridge constructor and it's a weak portal game. So throwing those two together, to me, doesn't justify it being a portal game, you know? Granted, there is the Valve uh, Defense Squad out for this game. So pretty much any negative uh, reviews on it is being quashed on the Steam storefront. Uh, so, uh, which half do you want me to talk about first? The portal aspect or the bridge constructor aspect? Uh, do... Because I went into this uh, with low expectations and I wasn't really uh, happy with it. So I started br- trying to break it down. It's like, okay, what is good about this game? Do bridge constructor first. Okay, bridge constructor. This game has so many features that should be in pretty much standard for a bridge constructor that really it doesn't. As a matter of fact, let me read down my list here that I have for my Sunday sampler on this. No high score tables at all. No level creation. No time controls outside of pause. No stress view mode. So only time you're able to seize any stress on these structures whatsoever is when they're going fucking critical. And it has the PC tax. It's Double the price than the mobile version, which is the exact same fucking game. It has this fucking annoying snap to grid mode where everything is snap to grid, which makes everything so damn finicky. There's no budget limits whatsoever. There's no it, uh, uh, really trying to drive you to be efficient. There's no uh, trying to drive you to be elegant. It's just go nuts. And that kind of defeats the purpose of most of the puzzles. As a matter of fact, I purposely defeated the uh, one of the puzzles by just building this monstrosity support bridge when it was trying to get me to build a, su- a suspension bridge by literally dragging a couple uh, joints over to uh, start a bridge because you can't just you know, build wherever. You have to start dragging from a a, a base point. Uh, yeah, very mobile-esque. Uh, building uh, a couple actual support beams, you know, support uh, leggings for a bridge. You know what I'm talking about? The supports? Yeah. Mm-hmm. From the bottom of the level all the way to the top and then building a, a, a deck. <laughs> where it wants me to build a suspension bridge and... The supports were just resting on the ground, and it worked. Kind of defeats the purpose of a bridge builder, doesn't it? Yeah. 
But and also you asked me to check in on some of the features yeah, yeah, in the because, regular game. Yeah, because this isn't their first rodeo in this uh style of game. And I went and back and checked uh their previous game between bridge the original bridge constructor and this. And granted that one is more build ramps almost like uh I'll shoot now I'm uh carried away, uh the last bridge constructor that I covered on my channel. And granted, I'm not a connoisseur of this genre. I've played a few, and I've played some of the very old ones way back in the 90s. <laughs> back in my day. Back in my day when these were on floppy disks. Right. So, so back in the dark ages. Eh, possibly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's just so underwhelming on the bridge constructor uh, side of things. And then you get to the portal aspect of it. Oh, well, first of all, Gladys is here. And, uh, you know, which is a positive point. It's the original voice actors for Gladys. But I can't tell if there's something wrong with the voice modulation on her lines because Gladys is a very uh, modulated, synthesized uh, uh, voice on top of a voice actress. I'm not sure if there's something wrong with her voice uh, 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 editing. If there's, if it's just the lines are delivered not very well. Because I'll be perfectly honest, the writing is fucking dreadful. Uh, they try to go for the uh, portal style of a uh, style of humor and miss completely. Uh, or if it's just yeah. yeah my distaste for the game is uh, coloring that portion of it. But even beyond that, the puzzle aspect for the portal sections is not that great. It's very finicky. It's very fiddly. All the portals, they don't have any sort of funneling. Well, you played the original portal and Portal 2 with me, so... Yeah, uh, there's, uh, portal, there's quite a bit of give in yeah, that. Yeah, there's a lot of give, and there's also a lot of fluidity in uh, portal uh, puzzles. And there's also a lot of discovery in portal puzzles. There's none of that here. You have to hit the portals dead on, and because of the snap-to-grid uh, from the bridge-building aspect, it could be very exacting, and a lot of trial and error, a lot of uh, just trying to get little details of the puzzle to work, even though <laughs> it should work. And it's just, oh, Yeah, that would be really frustrating to have to be exact. I mean, you know, you I don't want it to be like, oh, I'm only halfway in, but there's, you know, to well, make things fun. Yeah, there's uh, no portal funneling. There, some of the hit detection is just fucking abysmal. There was one example in my video where uh, the forklift... Uh, and uh, Here's the other thing is that, uh, that I forgot to mention on the bridge builder aspect of this. T uh, total number of materials that you could work with. Two. The whole game? Yes. Oh. You get the struts, which uh, also have a plank mode, or, you know, uh, the uh, deck mode. So, I guess technically three. And then you get a suspension wire. And that is it. And there's only one vehicle that ever shows up. It's forklifts. 
What about the truck that they show in the? I never saw it, and I was over a third of the way through the game. Well, that sucks. It's only the forklifts, and they do have a second mode where it's a convoy of forklifts. But the thing is that there's no indication of how fast those go. Oh, so there's times that you know they're very spaced out, and there's other times that they're all pretty much packed right on top of one another. And because of the hit detection being a little wonky, it could make for some interesting times. And by interesting, I mean fucking frustrating. Especially whenever you have uh, uh, paths that cross in air. And because there's no time uh, uh, controls, you have to uh, sit and watch it like a hawk and see, okay, hey, what happened? And then go back and replay it. And then uh, try to figure out what happened. Since there's so slow mode, you uh, only have a very brief window of opportunity to be able to see what happened. There was a couple times uh, that I was playing the convoy, and it looked like it worked, but because I missed uh, two forklifts colliding in air and falling down into the uh, you know boiling acid, it failed, and I couldn't figure out why until I replayed it a couple times. My solution, and sarcasm some quotes. And seeing all oh, those two collide in midair, I don't know how to deal with that. Did you ever figure it out? No, because I honestly didn't give a damn. Ah, okay. That makes sense. And uh, because there's no stress view uh, outside of when something goes critical, there's no way to be able to tell whatever something uh, is uh, being put under a load that you're not expecting. So I had yeah. a couple times that I had something break that I wasn't expecting it to break and caused my entire bridge to collapse. Well, that sounds like... And it feels like I'm this low-descending uh, voice because it, you go to the store page and it's just everybody... Uh, well, there's the memes, of course, because it's a portal, but you know, there's a lot of praise for this game and it feels like... Uh, did, did they play the same game? Yeah, it doesn't sound very good. It sounds boring and bland and just like oh look it's a portal thing yeah you wanted your portal here have a fucking bridge constructor I'm just waiting for Half-Life Battle Royale <laughs> I mean if the the ways things are going because we have Dota uh, 2 card game we have portal bridge constructor well, are bridge constructors uh, popular enough to actually uh, uh, justify this I don't know. I mean, I know there's a fuck ton of them on Steam now, but it's because Steam Direct has opened the floodgates. Yeah. I've played a few bridge builders in the past, but not, you know, heavily. So have I, but I've also played a lot better ones. Yeah, that's true. I mean, just the standard bridge builder is better than the portal one. It just doesn't have the portal theme. Yeah, Grant, this is more of a... A, of a direct puzzle game instead of an engineering challenge game. But honestly, it, Bridge Constructor Stunts is more of a puzzle game than this. Maybe they thought it would be um, more on brand if it was more about puzzles than uh, engineering. Uh, maybe. Or uh, maybe it does make sense uh, thematically to you know, not have a budget limit, but at the same time, it kind of defeats the whole purpose of a bridge builder game to begin with. Yeah, but the fact that you know you can look at a puzzle and see exactly what to do it uh, lacks the sense of discovery and uh, the the twist that a 
portal games usually have with their puzzles. Yeah. And that's why I call it a weak puzzle game or a weak portal game. It's an okay puzzle game, but it's a weak bridge builder uh, attached to it. So, you know, it leaves me unamused. Yeah. Okie dokie. Well, my next game happens to also be a sort of puzzle game. Um, it's called Balance City. Uh, it's a, a, a light city builder game. But the primary thing is that your cities are in the sky, balanced on top of, I don't know, a cliff or something like that. It's yeah, just obviously, like giant... Asha doesn't exist in this world. Yeah, it's this giant rock pedestal. And obviously, if you unbalance it too much to one side or the other, it's going to fall over and crash and everyone's going to die and you're going to lose. Um, It's a fairly simple game. That's got several modes. It's got a couple of different challenge modes. It's got uh, a tutorial, a set of tutorial missions, which unlocks sort of the first tier of stuff for free play. Um, and then it's got free play. Uh, the, the, well, the challenge missions all give you something specific to do. They usually give you a pre-built city of some kind and tell you to fix it without fucking it up. Um, and the difficulty spikes up real quick. After the first two challenge missions, which are fairly simple, then it starts to get fucking insane, and I haven't even been able to beat the third challenge mission, and I believe there's seven, like, story, like, tutorial missions that slowly ramp up in difficulty, and then there's seven challenge missions, and then seven scenarios. Um, and the challenge missions, the first two were, the the first one's easy, the second one not too bad, the third one fucking insane. And then the scenarios are also really difficult. Uh, the scenarios are a lot more freeform. They tell you to build a city that does or is a certain way. Um, and then just leave you to do it however you want to. And then the challenge missions, like I said, have a specific set of circumstances. But it's just a, a overall, it's a fairly simple um, puzzle type city builder light game. Um, and that's I really don't have a ton to say about it. Soundtrack's nice. Um, and it's just a good way to, to spend a little bit of time. Um, it's super cheap right now on sale. It's 79 cents. Uh, normally though, the price tag is eight bucks. I don't think it's worth $8. It's definitely worth 79 cents. This is like a good two, $3 game that you could spend, you know, five or six hours on completing the challenges and things like that. The freeform city builder is really boring just cause it's, if your city even topples a little bit, you lose in the free play mode. Um, some of the challenge missions, though, like, inc- <laughs> one of them is, uh, there's, like, a two-tiered city. And you have to, uh, you have to get some buildings from the second tier down to the first tier. Like, you can't build them, but you need them down on the first tier in order to complete the challenge. So you have to build this giant tower of office buildings and small condos up to the second tier then knock that over so that it pushes the buildings from the top tier down to the second tier and you have to do that without any of the second tier buildings falling into the abyss but your first tier buildings that you're building up to it can come can collapse and god knows how many people i killed when their buildings fell over because i struggled to build it high enough oh they don't count they're the poor Actually, that literally is the scenario. The first tier is the poor 
level of the city and the second tier is the rich part of the city and the poor tier wants some of the high-end office buildings so that they can have nice jobs it does have a few complexities in it like there's a pollution level you have to keep track of and um building city transportation will do things like allow you to build certain government buildings there's sort of this mini game where that you have police and fire and uh an ambulance service that occasionally something happens and you have to send one of your three things out depending on what the the disaster is and in the scenarios there's like there's a superhero and like a godzilla monster and earthquakes and stuff like that but you can turn all of that off for free play i think by default actually it's it's off so uh, is there a giant robot that just uh starts shooting dishes everywhere or is that just sim city <laughs> i think that's just sim city i haven't seen a giant robot I- i'm disappointed who knows there might be like i said i haven't completed the challenge missions yet because those are really tough and that was the challenge missions have been where the uh the superhero was and the disaster is he captain hero <laughs> no he looks like a like Superman, actually. Well, well, that well, that was Captain Hero in uh, Sim City. Or did you ever encounter him? I don't think I ever. Uh, occasionally, whenever the uh, uh, alien show up, uh, Captain Hero shows up and just uh, uh, demolishes it, and then usually leaves your uh, uh, city in uh, flaming ruin because it exploded in over a uh, populated area. Nice. But yeah, Balance City's a cute, fun little game that's a good, like, little distraction, time waster type thing. Um, and if you can get it really cheap, like it is on the Steam sale right now, although when this is released, that'll be in the past. But if you can get it really cheap, it's worth a couple of bucks, easy. Maybe, like, five if you're into this sort of thing, but it definitely doesn't feel like an $8 game. So how about another uh, uh, cute, interesting-looking game? Okay. Cuphead. <laughs> yeah, Cuphead. Yeah, Kyle sent me this for Christmas. Uh, rather unknowingly that it was the, the VGL game, uh, or VGL podcast game of the year, and I was going to pick it up in the Steam sale anyway, so uh, thank you, Kyle. I've been playing this quite a bit the last several days, and I'm in the second world most of the way through it now. And uh, you gave me homework, and you put me up against the easiest boss in that world. We struggled, Katie and I struggled so hard to beat that boss. I beat that thing's ass. <laughs> uh, for uh, those who are wondering what the hell, uh, it was the roller coaster boss in the second world. And I pretty much saw what I had to do pretty quickly. It's just uh, executing it. And eventually I just swapped out the homing shot and uh, beat it fairly easily. But anyway, Cuphead, it's uh, those who. Uh, been under a rock. It's a 1930s style cartoon. I don't want to call it platformer because it's really not. It's kind of its own little genre. It's not full run and gun either because it does have run and gun sections, but it's mostly boss battles. That's the real focus of the game. And it makes me wonder if uh, the controls were better for Shadow of the Colossus if I would have appreciated it a lot more because Cuphead has some really tight controls. It has some really, really good uh, well, platforming style controls that makes me wonder just... It, you know, it was giving me second thoughts about my uh, view of uh, Shadow of the Colossus because of that, you know? 
Yeah. Because it, Cuphead's boss system is very, very difficult. I don't want to call it unfair, but it's one of those that it's fast enough that you need to know what's coming up. And the only way to know what's coming up is to either be a Jedi or die a lot of times. And it has some just amazing uh, variety on its uh, bosses. Just even in the first world, there's uh, it goes between uh, air combat and uh, platforming uh, heavy uh, bosses, uh, dodging attacks. It's quite impressive just the amount of variety already on display. That's not to say I don't have my grips about the game because, oh boy, do I. Uh, mostly revolving around the running gun levels, though. Uh, the boss battles have been pr- uh, pretty solid overall. Only one I really didn't like was the slime in the first world, but that was mostly, I think, uh, just misjudging the jump pattern. And uh, because it uh, changed its hitbox whenever it, uh, in its second phase, I was having a lot of trouble judging just where the hitbox was on it. Yeah. Uh, but the running gun, my, I was trying to figure out why I didn't like it so much. And I think there's two reasons. Well, oh, well, possibly three. One, um, I haven't played a lot of running gun since Contra. Yo, was that like 30 years ago now? <laughs> a long time, yeah. Uh, and I didn't really play a lot of Contra back in the day. So, yo, the, the muscle isn't there. Yo, the muscle memory. But I noticed that there was a move missing in Cuphead that is pretty standard these days uh, for platformers. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or can you guess what I'm talking about? Um, that that would have made the platforming sections a lot uh, quicker or a lot more uh, smooth. No, probably not. Cause, just because I don't play very many of these types of games. A ledge grab. Oh, uh, okay. You see yeah. where I'm going with this now? Uh, particularly, yeah. uh, there was a jump on the tree running gun in the first world that was uh, kind of difficult to hit because uh, the platform didn't raise up high enough and you had to do a air dash in the air, uh, yeah, hence the name, uh, to uh, make that jump. And there was a couple times that I would hit the edge of the platform, but it wouldn't register that I was on it, so I'd fall down. And it uh, was a bit frustrating to me because there was no ledge grab. A pretty standard platforming mechanic. Uh, especially these days. Uh, and It's not a deal killer, but it does make the running gun a little weaker than I think it would have been otherwise. And also a minor gripe about the running gun section is that all the enemies explode in this uh, pretty uh, big white cloud. And it obscures the uh, view of things. And because these running guns typically have a lot of incoming fire, I've uh, gotten hit or killed a few times because that uh, smoke cloud has obscured my vision too much. And it's just a minor gripe on that. But the ledge grab, I think, is kind of a big oversight on uh, the platforming sections. Granted, most of the bosses are built around not having that. So, And the running guns were added fairly late in the cycle. Well, for... Cuphead cycle, I should say. It was still, you know, Cuphead was in development for a very long time just because of its art style. Yeah. Uh, but the running gun sections are definitely the weakest part of the game. And you don't really have to do them because the focus of the game is the boss battles. But if you don't do them, you don't get the coins to be able to get the uh, weapon upgrades. And 
Some of the bosses, I won't say are required to have certain weapons, but are made a lot easier by certain weapons. Particularly, uh, well, the roller coaster boss, like I was saying. I was, uh, having trouble with my usual setup of, well, I only have three of these six weapons right now. I have the pea shooter, the spread shot, and the homing shot. So, I typically run with the spread shot and the pea shooter, the uh, standard, you know, uh, shot, which is actually a pretty good weapon. Yeah. Uh, but I was having trouble be able to have enough time to shoot on the third phase of that fight. Uh, well, uh, it was the uh, one with the horse, so. Uh, uh, the next to last phase. I was having trouble getting enough time because uh, that entire fight, uh, you're on this roller coaster track, and the roller coaster occasionally comes in, and there's a lot of uh, shit going on. And even the phase before that with all the balloon animals, it's uh, tough to get the time, even with the spread shot, to be able to clear things and get damage on the boss. So I swapped to the uh, homing shot because there was so much platforming to be able to focus on that and not have to worry as much about uh, aiming. Good, it is less damage, but I'm doing more consistent damage. And I was able to get a lot further, a lot faster with it. And if I didn't do the running gun sections to be able to uh, afford that uh, weapon, then I would have a problem. Granted, there's been a couple times where I've gotten coins for just uh, talking to people or uh, finding a secret and then talking to someone. So maybe throughout the game, I would get enough of those freebie coins to be able to buy a couple of weapons, but nowhere near the full assortment. So, you know, you don't have to do the running guns, but it's pretty much a requirement to be able to have a easier time with the bosses. And this game's uh, bosses definitely require any advantage you could get. Yeah. So, I I would just went to double check this. We were talking about how you were saying lots of bosses are easy, and I'm going, these bosses are fucking hard. And I was thinking, like, part of it might be due to the fact that I'm not the greatest at this type of game. Well, I didn't so think that, I was good at platformers. That definitely could be a, a thing. But whenever you do co-op, it doubles the health of all of the bosses. Yeah, see, I'm and, going through this in uh, uh, solo. Well, I mean, technically so am I, too. <laughs> I love Katie to death, and I really have enjoyed mm-hmm. playing this. But nine times out of ten, she dies in the first phase or two. And then that leaves me with the final phase or the final two phases, or for a couple of the bosses, they're, they have like five phases. So the final, you know, one, two, or three phases by myself fighting a boss with double health. All right, so that may be uh, the problem. That might be why I've struggled so much with some of these bosses. Like, you you know, you said the clown boss. Um, I, mean, I, I mean, I absolutely beat his ass. Uh, it took us nearly an hour to beat that boss. I did it in probably half that time if not sooner the well let's put it this way the first world uh, uh going to the second world uh, uh, there's a, a pool that tells you how many times you died in the second world i was at 90 deaths before the entire first world and that's including a lot of resets on the running guns because i wanted to get all five coins in those and be done with them and not have to go back so yeah. I probably was at more like 60 or 70, or probably less than that for the first world. Uh, the uh, Baroness Von Bon Bon, uh, I had so much trouble with that just because of the randomness in that battle. 
I doubled my deaths between uh, that one and the genie, which the genie I didn't have that much trouble with. But uh, the Baroness was mostly... Uh, there's no set pattern to the bosses, so there's no building at that muscle memory or expecting anything. And for certain combinations, it's a lot tougher than others. Like getting the jawbreaker on that one uh, in the second or f- third phase, it's pretty much a guaranteed hit, at least one hit. Yeah. Because there's just so much on screen, and uh, you have the jawbreaker constantly chasing you, and it has enough health to be able to you know, uh, sustain a, quite a bit of fire. But uh, the uh, there was a couple times that I would get to the last phase but not have enough uh, uh, health to really attempt the last phase because I wasn't uh, completing it cleanly enough. So that's a, yeah. another annoying thing. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of our my problem has just come down to the fact that it doubles the health of the bosses, and then I wind up doing half usually of the boss battle by myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, Katie has been getting better. We haven't played in a few weeks, but we were steadily playing for a while, and she was making notable progress, um, or you know, noticeable skill improvements, which was making us making it so we could get through the bosses faster. She really struggles with the plane levels. Um, but other than those cat you know um catching us up we were we were starting to get better we've beaten i think almost all of the bosses on the second island yeah i have uh, the dragon left which i'm uh, pretty much uh, done with i just have to get through the uh, first couple uh uh phases cleanly enough uh, to be able to get time with the thir- with the last phase and, yeah. and the dragon uh, goes really quickly as well, and that's another one I'm using homing shot on a lot. But I have to use it only on one phase because I found, yeah, it makes the last phase uh, an absolute clusterfuck. Yeah, uh, and I haven't attempted the bird uh, one yet, but I know that's the last one. Genie wasn't that tough. Uh, it was more just uh, getting through the first phase cleanly enough, and that's another one that has a fair amount of randomness on it. Yeah, I double-checked, uh, by the way, after we talked, and we have beaten the genie. Yeah, I, I thought the genie was a lot of fun, though. The genie was a really fun, like, what-the-fuck-is-this kind, because it, it had some pretty random stuff in it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we, we definitely struggled. <laughs> Even I struggled on that one. I don't know why, but I struggled on the genie, which is probably why it took us so long to beat him. Yeah, the uh, genie, I got him done... Uh, Fairly quickly. I'm not nearly as quickly as the roller coaster boss, uh, the clown. Uh, uh, first world, I spent more time on the running guns, but like I said, I was more focused on trying to get all five coins. So, uh, that was, uh, partly it there. Uh, and I have to say, I went through the tutorial real quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Definitely did do that thing. Oh, but it's uh, has that uh, tough but fair that I really liked in things like uh, Super Meat Boy. But that uh, serious endorphin hit whenever you you know, clear the boss, it's like, oh yeah, got it. Yeah, yeah, I really, I really like Cuphead. It has been an excellent game. I do wonder if it, uh, uh, the art style has attracted some people that wouldn't appreciate the genre as much and is uh, kind of uh, soured it on some people. Because I have seen some people just absolutely trash the game. 
And then you get the absolute idiots that call it racist because of the art style. And oh, not joking about that. Yeah. I know. Okay, but overall, a very strong game. Uh, if you like the uh, genre, because, you know, it is definitely not for everyone. I mean, I didn't like the genre before, but I really like Cuphead. So, I don't think that I'm a convert, but I definitely like it, so. No, just a masochist. <laughs> it hurts so good. It hurts so good. Anyways, my next game is Xenonauts. So, you purchased Xenonauts for me as a as a little gift. Mm-hmm. Um and I saved it and played it on my trip because it's not a very uh, resource-heavy game. So even on my laptop, it runs smoothly at the best graphic settings at 60 FPS. Um, I mean, it's not a graphically intense game by any means. It's got a good art style. I like the art style. It's very reminiscent of the older XCOM, which is... I mean, that's what this game was is. A spiritual successor to the original series of XCOM games. Um and it does that very, very well. Uh, I couldn't think... I actually went back and just double-checked on some stuff from the original XCOM game to compare a little bit. Um, and I couldn't find anything that Xenonauts didn't do better than the original XCOM game. Um, graphically, it looks better. Again, like not an outstanding, modern, you know, realistic art style. But it it does the... the early 90s aesthetic but much more smoothly and with greater variety and detail than the original game did the base building section is better because it's much more graphically driven so it's easier to understand on top of that the information is more easily accessible and makes more sense um of course that that goes down though to the core sort of design improvements that we've made in the last couple of decades anyways, just, you know, improvements, streamlining. Um, We have more screen real estate to use, and while some games do a poor job of that, this game does a good job of maximizing the screen real estate available without being overwhelming, which is good because there's a shit ton of information to take in most of the time while you're playing this game, regardless of whatever uh, portion of the game you're engaging in, whether it's uh, managing your aircraft uh, on patrols and fighting aliens or actually doing the turn-based missions or base building. Like, there's a ton of stuff that you need to keep an eye on at all times. But they do a good job with spacing and not cramming too much information on the screen at a time. But there's definitely more and more easily accessible information than there was in the uh, 90s, early 90s XCOM. There's a lot more... Well, I mean, there is customization. Besides... The outfitting, so weapons, equipment, all that sort of stuff, having a backpack to manage, which is pretty much a carbon copy of the original XCOM. Um, You can customize the looks of your soldiers a little bit, uh, not as much as the modern XCOM games, but a bit, and then you can customize their names, um, which you could change their names in the original XCOM, but other than that, aside from the armor upgrades that you got throughout the game you couldn't do anything to change the appearance uh when it comes to actual gameplay the tactical turn-based gameplay is much better than the original XCOM. again i think a lot of that just comes down to modern design improvements but everything is much easier to handle and control and you can figure out what's going on a lot better the information is displayed to you 
much better than it was before. I would say but it, it, it still displays s- information better than the modern XCOM. Um, in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Uh, the the modern XCOM focuses a lot more on s- sort of RPG elements with soldiers that level up as you go along, not just stat improvements. Um, which is, whereas Xenonauts just gives you stat improvements and then you can choose how to outfit your soldiers. In, in modern XCOM, you're locked to a class, but you get class abilities and stat improvements as well as you go. Um, and in some ways, the modern XCOM displays the information to you better than Xenonauts does, but they're two very different types of games. While the core gameplay revolves around turn-based strategy battles, uh, Xenonauts is much more focused on sort of big picture, bigger war stuff. Uh, your default starting squad size is eight. I haven't got the upgraded dropship, but I mean, eight is, if you don't play with any mods, eight is still larger than the largest so- squad size you can get in the modern XCOM. Yeah, which just always seemed ridiculous to me. And the fact that you could run multiple dropships in this game is also nice. Yeah. Um, Granted, I it's also always, expensive. I always start with two dropships. Um, I'll I'll immediately buy a second dropship and start using it. That way, I can start leveling up a second squad. Um, although I'm thinking maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe I should focus on an extra fighter first, because you can go one on one with the starting fighter. But once you get past the first month and they start getting the scout craft, you have to send two of the condors, which are the basic interceptors to take down one of the scout craft. So then you can only engage one alien target at a time. But, I mean, Xenonauts is really, really good. Really good. I love the Xenopedia. That is way better than the modern XCOM's Xenopedia. Um, just, I like the the way it's laid out. I like the art style. And it feels much more... What's the right word? Um, a refinement of the original. Yeah, well, it's that it it feels much more like sci science fiction. XCOM, the modern XCOM is science fantasy, and this feels more science fiction. Everything seems much more grounded in reality, um, at least in the way that it's written and portrayed, which I like. I really like that. Um, you know, I don't have anything against science fantasy. I still love the modern XCOM games, but. Like I told you, I think last week or maybe even two weeks ago when I first started playing it and we were having a little bit of this conversation back and forth, they're two, they, they're two very different games. They have the same core gameplay element, but aside from that, they're two very different games that do very different things. Modern XCOM is more focused, like I said, on the RPG mechanics, small squad size, getting you... Cover-based. Cover-based, getting you attached to your soldiers, and to some extent, I think, being some kind of power fantasy. As weird as that sounds to say about a turn-based strategy game, but especially XCOM 2 with melee weapons being a, a factor and the importance of engaging in early combat with aliens if you play without any mods, it it kind of feels a bit more action-y. Whereas this is very slow, very tactical. If you run everybody out there, you're going to get killed for sure and lose missions. And The, the characters are a lot more squishy. Uh, yeah, especially uh, in the beginning. Yeah, it's a lot more tactics focused. Um, you have to worry about your ammo uh, uh, conservation. So far, that hasn't been a problem for me. Well, uh, if you carry uh, too much ammo, you start wearing yourself down, and that's the thing. 
Yeah. And granted, you know, as your uh, soldiers get more experience, they do uh, typically get a bit stronger. But uh, you start running into the problem of, okay, I'm my uh, heavy, for lack of a better terms, you know, a rocket launcher guy. Uh, he can only carry so many rocket uh, rockets before he starts hitting a uh, weight penalty. And this doesn't use the XCOM or modern XCOM movement system. It's all time units where firing is a certain percentage of your, uh, 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 of your total time, lit, uh, time unit pool. And depending on the mode of fire, which there's different ones for different weapons, some are just, you know, a, a simple quick shot and then an aim shot. But then there's the, uh, the assault rifles, I think have the greatest variety that I encountered at least so far. Granted, yeah, you're a lot rifles in the game than I am, but. No, I mean, even though you can get, you get upgraded weapons, like, I've got laser weapons on my current playthrough right now, but they still function the same. You, the assault rifle's got four fire modes. There's snap shot, aimed shot. I forget what the third one is, but it's like a better aimed shot. Um, and then burst fire. And then burst fire. And then most of the other weapons only have one or two modes of fire. Like, the machine gun, the heavy machine gun only has burst fire. The pistol only has single shot. The shotgun's only got single shot. But it, you know, I mean, it fires a spread of pellets, mm-hmm. so one shot does multiple multiple damage. Although, they do all have aimed. Like, you can do snapshot and aim shot with all of them, except for the heavy machine gun. And it literally is just spray and pray. Uh-huh. But, I mean, the, you know, the heavy gunner is a suppression unit, so being suppressed is much more important in this than it is in XCOM 2. Because when you're suppressed, you get half-time units, um, and all you get an aim penalty. So you can do less things, and what you do is less effective. Or you just have your breach guy with a rat shield, a pistol, and a bunch of grenades. <laughs> oh, God. Th- those guys are the best if you fuck up and have to take a bunch of rookies into a mission. Just give them all riot shields and pistols and play carefully. Can, can you imagine that, that, uh, you know, being in the armory and uh, they're handing out weapons and uh, you get a pistol and a riot shield and everybody else has uh, you know, these uh, assault rifles and everything. It's like, really? <laughs> my, my core squad composition is two guys with riot shields, one guy with a shotgun, one sniper, and then the rest assault rifles. Yeah, see, Occasionally, uh, well, I'll take a heavy gunner instead of a shotgunner. Well, my uh, my playthrough, I need to go back to. Uh, I got two guys that got really, really exceptional aim. So I have I'm running two snipers, and that's the uh, that that's the interesting thing to me is that it's because it's more st- uh, stat driven instead of these uh, this RPG class system that they have in the modern XComs. You're able to pick and choose what you want. You don't have to ha- worry about a roll of the dice. Well, fuck, I got another medic. Throw him on the medic pile. I pretty much give everyone a med kit, except for the heavy yeah. gunner, because the the light machine gun weighs so much. And then if I take a guy with a rocket launcher. I used to, When I first started, every squad had a rocket guy in it. But after a few friendly fire incidents <laughs> where I turned some of my own guys to paste... I was like, uh, maybe I should use be less rocket happy. Yeah, I didn't use that many rocket guys. Uh, only if I do, I had a, a serious breach attempt. Maybe if uh, going on a heavier uh, uh, 
uh, landing craft. I would take a rocket guy to be able to uh, just clear out a room, but the thing is that also damages the stuff that you get. Yeah, the best my best use for rocket guy has honestly been the occasional rare bunch up of aliens, or whenever I need to breach the spaceship. Because if you open the door and there's aliens there, they will shoot your face off and murder you. Yeah, so, and that's the thing. And, uh, well, that's also something else is that there's no Overwatch mode. It's if you leave time units, there's a chance that they'll uh, do a, a snapshot based on the remaining time units and their reflex skill or reflex yeah. that, which I like that a lot better than, you know, that designate Overwatch and that's it. And also the fact that the aliens don't get a free turn to all scurry to cover if you uh, happen upon one of them. Yeah. I hate Although that in XCOM. I do too. I hate that. But when usually whenever you breach the space, if the spaceship crash lands, there's much more likely to be several aliens holed up inside the spaceship. Yeah. If they if they land normally, they're usually spread out on the map. But on a crash landed spaceship, I got to where I would always take a rocket guy and use them to breach the door. One, then they can't close it back. And two, there's almost always one or two aliens hiding right behind the door. And I'd rather blow them up and lose the stuff as opposed to getting my soldiers killed. Yeah, but by uh, playthrough, uh, my uh, uh, attempt I was uh, going to do before I called it a day and haven't been back to it, I was taking a guy with a riot shield and a bunch of, gr- of gas grenades <laughs> and flashbangs. Really handy. Smoke grenades are your friend. Flashbangs are sometimes okay. Frag grenades are really dangerous because it applies the same hit chance to chucking a grenade. So, like, half the time, you somehow wind up throwing it at your feet. Well, see, you, like, hold well, on to, uh, you hold on to it too long, and instead of throwing it off, you throw it straight down. <laughs> so, I mean, Xenonauts is great. That was a, an excellent gift from you, by the way. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably going to start over, because it's one of those things, it's like I get a little bit further, and I figure something out, I'm like, oh, well, if I had known to do this in the beginning, then I would have been doing that instead so i should just start over and optimize my play yeah i think this may be one of those games that uh well this is an XCOM game where it, you have to focus on defense first instead of just uh raw firepower because your guys are just so damn squishy yeah they almost always will die from one hit in the beginning once they get a few ranks up and get their stats up they can usually survive a hit well it also and depends you on get- uh distance and if they're crouching because that's also a huge uh, uh, hit penalty. Yeah, once you get the first set of armor, you can usually survive a few shots. I mean, if they focus down one of your guys, he's dead, but he'll survive more than one or two hits. And also depends on uh, how far below zero they go for the chance to survive. Yeah, because you do have a chance you do have a chance to recover soldiers when they die. Um, if they only die a little bit. If they die a lot, then they're dead. Yeah, he's only mostly dead. (laughs) I got better. Yeah, Yeah, and that chance... I've played on both easy and normal difficulty, and the chance on easy is much, much higher, obviously, than it is on normal. I pretty much had one or two recoveries every round on easy, whereas on normal, it's less frequent. Maybe every couple of battles, I get a recovery. Also, your higher level soldiers have a uh, a higher chance to recover, I've discovered. I don't know, I guess that's probably just their stat improvements. But yeah, good game. Um, I almost forgot to mention the flight 
uh, interceptor or interception mini game combat mini game. Um, that in in the original XCOM, you did have more control over your fighters than you did do in the XCOM reboot, but it did not have this combat mini game. Basically, you just chose the loadout of your fighter and then deployed them to attack interceptors, and then it was just determined by stats, basically. But this one has the inclusion of a minigame that gives you some control over your fighters. You can basically tell them you can lock weapons from use so they won't use them, which I guess is useful maybe later on when you have fighters that can loiter and patrol an area for longer. Um, but So you can lock weapons from use. You have an afterburner to obviously go faster or to Gotta go fast close range to close range or escape but afterburner burns a fuck ton of fuel i usually don't use it unless i'm like right there on the edge cuz if uh, like i'll check the auto battle or auto resolve chances and if it's anything greater than 90 i'll usually hit auto resolve if it's anywhere between 40 and 90 i'll manual battle and if it's lower than 40 i'll retreat every time um but uh, usually when it's on the lower end, it's the only time I'll use the afterburner to either close the distance or retreat after I launch my weapons. But every time I use the afterburner, it, it burns up a disproportionately large amount of fuel. And my planes always run out of fuel and have to crash land and then be recovered. But it's it's a pretty good little mini game. Uh, you can really turn battles around and it just using the dodge roll and um, dictating which weapons to use at a Wait, time. Are you saying you got to do a barrel roll? Do a barrel roll. Um, and it is an actual barrel roll, as opposed to the aileron roll, which is what most people call a barrel roll. Um, but it's it's a neat little mini game, and uh, a decent amount of fun. I don't. I've I've still, despite being three months into the game or four months now, I still haven't gotten an interceptor past this the first one or the second one, like. The def- you get the default, so I have that. Yeah, you get a the second first one, one. Uh, really quickly. Yeah, it's it's called the Foxtrot, which is based on the was the MiG thirty one Foxbat, the one that was designed to shoot down satellites, um, because or launch missiles at satellites in orbit because it had a flight ceiling of I think eighty thousand feet, and then it could carry uh big enough missiles with enough fuel to reach satellites in low Earth orbit. Um, so that's a thing. Yeah, that was a thing that the Soviets designed in the seventies. I have a feeling there was so, a lot, a lot of vodka involved in uh, that design uh, concept. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, Vladimir, let's get a jet to shoot down uh, satellites. Jets can't fly into orbit. Missiles. <laughs> Hold my vodka and watch this. I think it was the first plane designed with a scramjet so that it could keep taking in air at that altitude to to actually keep flying. But I might be I might be wrong about that. But I think I think so. I don't know, I'm not going to go look it up right now cuz we are going on very long already. But I I just wanted to mention that cuz the the flight system is really fun and there's actually some depth to it cuz you can set up patrol routes, which I've messed around with a little bit, but the early game interceptors don't have enough fuel to loiter for very long. Yeah. So, they're really terrible at doing patrols. Yeah, they're it pretty is much possible, just well, so. interceptors. 
I assume once you get incorporate some of the alien tech, plus as the world progresses on its own, it seems like some of the technology you get comes from the the progression of technology in the seventies. So yeah, I wonder if there'll be an era of uh, refueling. I don't know. That would be interesting. But I mean, you can each base can have technically up to five, ten, fourteen hangars. So it would be possible to have basically just an air base that could patrol huge chunks of the world if you wanted to build one that way. But I haven't gotten that far yeah, yet. Yeah, where did you build your first base? Um, well, I've started several games. Uh, my very, very first base was in America. Of course. Um, I built it down near Cape Canaveral. Um, now, so that, that was a cover, mistake, right? So so that I could <laughs> so that I could cover um all of the United States and most of Canada and most of Mexico with my first base because the United States gives you the most money every month. So I wanted to secure my funding. Um the second and third games that I've started though, I've put a base in northern Africa mm-hmm. or um eastern Europe because they cover those two bases cover the most landmass start by default without any radar upgrades. Yeah, and you have to so, get an alien ship to crash land on land. Otherwise, you, you don't get to do an encounter or shoot a missile at it for a quick buck. Right. Yeah, so, I've uh, pretty much always started in Northern Africa and I covered most of Europe, all the Middle East, all North Africa, or almost, and uh, with options to get South Africa. It seems like uh, the most logical spot, at least for the time being, with my tactics, at least. In my current game, I have two bases. One is covering all of Africa, and the other is covering mm, Indochina and a bit of Eastern Europe. Yeah, I think I was building uh, in uh, northern South America uh, for a second base. I can't recall. I I know I was starting to build one, but I can't remember where it was. Yeah. But it was just going to be pretty much radar and a couple uh, hangars, and that's it. Yeah, because your your transports, your troop transports have a huge range. So, you don't need to have... The only thing is, Tom, uh, did you have a night fight? Yeah, I've had a couple of night fights. They're not that bad. Um, You get a, uh, a vision penalty while the aliens do not, but... I mean, if you take it slow, it's not that big of an issue. Yeah, and throw a lot of flares. And usually you can find the aliens by them killing the civilians. Which does hurt your mission, uh, like, grade at the end, but, eh, fuck them. Although I have had a couple of missions that have been in, like, uh, cities and things like that, where the, the police are actually decent fighters, and I've seen the police actually kill a, a few aliens. I'm I'm wanting to get a really good populated farm level because the farmers have shotguns. <laughs> Throw down your projectile weapon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but anyways, over my yeah, so- dead body, your offer is acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And then he gets a new Edgar suit. Yeah, I haven't seen Men in Black in a while. Good movie. Sequels, not so much. Uh, um, I think the first sequel wasn't that great. The second one was actually pretty good, though. The second one was all right. The the second sequel, yeah, third so the third movie. Yeah. 
Anyways, uh, so what's next on your list? So my next three games are all related. And I'm sure you're looking at this and thinking, how? Yeah, how? I could sort of see the connection between two of them. Well, 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 the the last two. Well, you'll you'll see. My next game is a revisit of Never Alone because I finished up my series on that. And uh, this game has taught me a lot of things about Inuit culture. First of all, uh, dodgy platforming uh, with uh, bad controls uh, tends uh, turns out to be a part of their culture. I didn't know that. Uh, it's pretty much uh, uh, the anti-cuphead, to be honest. Okay. Uh, second of all, it turns out The Last Airbender was a documentary, and firebenders are the natural enemy of the Inuit people. Okay. And because they're, I jokingly called uh, this extremely ugly guy that shows up in the first uh, episode uh, Zuko because he burnt down their village. And then later on, he's chasing me throwing fireballs. Okay. And it turns out he's a firebender. <laughs> and third of all, their video games uh, end on a pun that only makes sense in their native tongue. That, <laughs> And uh, it's a joke that only makes sense in their native language and translating it makes no sense whatsoever. I actually had to go look that up because it's like, okay, why is he laughing? Why does he think it's so funny that I stole his... Uh, a tool and then broke it. And it turns out that uh, a slight syllable change, uh, uh, it changes uh, a phrase from give it back to chip the blade. So, right. <laughs> okay. I-, I really wanted to like this game. I wanted to appreciate it. And it's just, uh, if you want to experience the, uh, the videos, I would say, you know, get it cheap because it is dirt cheap right now. And I'm glad I didn't spend that much on it. And as a matter of fact, I have no interest to go play the DLC because uh, the platforming itself turned me off so much from the game, which is just a shame. Uh, but yeah, it's just such a uh, it, well, it's anti-cuphead. It's sluggish. Uh, platforming, it's bad controls, it's frustrating puzzles. Yeah. I, I don't like it. <laughs> uh, any questions? Not really. I mean, I'm familiar with this game. I really didn't have much of an interest in it. Outside of just sort of the, uh, the curious, art style. The curiosity and- of it, and that's why I got it originally. Was uh, I was curious about it, but yeah. There was people saying that, you know, it, uh, it's not great platforming. I would say fucking abysmal. Yeah, it's like that, tr- it's that. like trying to play Tron if you're drunk. Kyle, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think we have a new series. <laughs> oh. Get get tr- uh, get Kyle Midwestern drunk, where his accent uh, gets exaggerated, or he exaggerates he, it. One of the two. He gets a southern accent. Uh, and, gets that drunk. And, and put him on uh, <laughs> Never Alone. All right. Have anything else to say about it? Or uh, I'm to... well. Let's put it this way: I was glad to uninstall it, and that's not a good sign. Nope, that's not a good sign. Okay. Well, my next game is not a game I want to un- uninstall. It's a game I want to continue playing because I find it interesting, and that is Stardew Valley. This was uh, 
my Christmas present from you. Mm-hmm. Um, Stardew Valley, which you have talked about a few times on the show, I believe, is a farming game. Yeah, which uh, um, gets very strong reactions from Katie. <laughs> yeah. You were just so perplexed. Yeah. I just thought that was funny. Um, it, I haven't played it a lot. I've only played it for about an hour or so. I've played through the intro, you know, tutorial bit and sort of the, the setup for why you've got the farm and then a cup, two or three days worth of, of playing. Um, and so far I like it. Um, it's cute. I like the, the actually surprisingly high amount of character customization for your little 8-bit sprite. Um, I picked uh, a cute little girl with green hair and uh, purple overalls because I'm weird like that. And have no fashion sense. And have no fashion sense, but I think it's it's good looking and cute. And Well, like and I said. Fuck, <laughs> and fuck anyone who says otherwise. Uh, um, and I'm I did, sure you've tried. I did the tutorial bit. I named my farm uh, VGL Farms. So very on brand with that. And uh, I spent the first day... Uh, clearing grass and chopping down trees and then going into town once I was almost exhausted and talking to people and exploring. And then the second day, more clearing grass and chopping down trees and rocks. And Well, and I did plant the stuff that it says that you should plant for like the tutorial guiding mission or whatever. Yeah, yeah, this um, is a farming game. You may want to plant something. So I, I did that. And then the third day, I went and chopped some more trees. And logs, or not logs, rocks. Broke up rocks and things. Uh, I went with the standard farm. I figured since I was, because it gives you the option for different farms. Yeah, see, they added that after I started playing, so. Yeah, and I figured I should probably start with the standard farm. What's up with the one that says monsters come out at night? Uh, It's more combat focused. This game actually has combat. Okay, well, I, I haven't gotten to that yet. I think, if I remember correctly from just stuff I've heard about it, the combat's only in the mines, right? Yeah, well, that or, or, the, co- or the monster farm. Okay. But, yeah. Um, I might. Well, well, there is some in the overworld as well, but you have to go f- uh, hunting for it, to be honest. It's uh, in some of the more secluded spots. Yeah. I, I like what I've played so far. I like the the art style. I like the soundtrack. Um, and this is probably the best, so far anyways, the best farming game that I've played in a long time. Um, it feels like a lot of the more modern farming games seem to have lost their way, and they get focused too much on collectibles, or too much on a bullshit crafting system. That's not to say this uh, game doesn't have its collectibles. Yeah, it does seem to have that, and it does have a crafting system, but... So far, it's just pretty simple, low-key farming. There's a nice, seems like fully flushed out town and townspeople. Um, but like you know, like I said, I'm only like three days in. So my first impressions are this is cute and fun, and I want to keep playing it. Well, it's also surprisingly deep. There, well, you haven't gotten to that point yet, but uh, eventually you're able to pretty much customize your farm how you want. So. If you want to have a orchard where you're growing a bunch of fruit trees and stuff, you could do that. Or, you know, uh, uh, have a maple farm where you're getting maple syrup and selling that. Uh, uh, depending on their farm, you could set up to just, you know, fish and uh, set uh, fi- uh, fish traps all over the place and do that instead. And not really farm all that much. Uh, be an explorer. Uh, there's a lot of variety that you could do. It's 
you're not tied into just farming or you have your livestock as well, which is pretty standard for these games. It's kind of strange looking at the Harvest Moon that eventually came out on Steam and comparing it to this. Yeah, so far the only thing that I don't like is that exhaustion system. Well, that's pretty standard for these games, though. Yeah, I know, but I don't like it. It's been a while since I've played one, so I've kind of forgot that that system existed. And Well, you do, do- uh, as you go through the game, you do get uh, 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 items that improve your total exhaustion pool. So it becomes less and less of an issue, unless you do something very strenuous like mining. Yeah. But, I mean, so far I, I like what I see, and I'm, I intend to keep playing it. What I need to do is I need to, while I'm making 800 jumps back to Wolf 906, <laughs> I need to get my laptop and set it up on like a table over here, and I can play Stardew Valley while I... Yeah, I will say that uh, overall, my biggest complaint about the game is it's a lack of full uh, gamepad support, at least when I last played it. It has a lot of uh, menus it uses the cursor for. And granted, I uh, was able to get past that mostly just because my default controller these days is a DualShock 4, which has a little touchpad on it. But it's still... Uh, not exactly on par. It, it was played far better with mouse and keyboard. Yeah, so far I've only played it with mouse and keyboard, but I did consider grabbing my Steam controller to, to check I would it say out it with. Probably would work pretty well with the Steam controller. It's uh, Like I said, when I played it, it was a little bit finicky. Yeah. It, they do have an update coming up uh, this year, though, that's going to add multiplayer. Sweet. Along with uh, some more stuff for the town, it's uh, they, they've done a lot with this game, a lot more than I was expecting. Yeah, I was expecting it to launch, get bug fixes, and that's about it. But there's been a lot of post-launch support for this game that I did not see coming. Yeah, this would be a fun game to for me and you to play, just to chill out. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could do a series on it, but it would also be a really good chill out game. Yeah. But okay. What's uh, what's next on okay, your list? Okay, my next game is Hearts of Iron 4. This is one I haven't gotten too far into yet. This was sent to me uh, from uh, Be Cool. And this is my first foray. Well, uh, it's not my first uh, Paradox uh, uh, strategy game that I've owned, but it's the first one I've really tried to crack. And it is something I'm going to have to spend a long time to be able to understand. I watched a quick half-hour tutorial. Enough to you know get the very basics, but I'm still sitting at the uh, at the map and thinking, okay, now what? What what do I do? <laughs> it, it hasn't taught me to be literally Hitler yet. Oh, that's good. And, and, and funnily enough, uh, I'm not joking on that. A lot of the uh, people su- uh, suggest playing Germany at first. So yeah, literally Hitler. <laughs> Uh, but I just wanted to more highlight that I was, uh, you know, trying to get into this game and figure it out. And it's, I got a, another tutorial series, uh, queued up to sit down and watch, and it's three and a half, nearly four hours. <laughs> it feels, yeah. it feels almost like learning Dwarf Fortress, uh, only with a better UI. There's a lot of detail in this game that I, that I do appreciate. You know, setting yeah. up your uh, individual, uh, well, brigades, you know, setting up your individual uh, arm, well, uh, you know, divisions of your army and uh, 
uh, be able to sit those up and march them around. It's going to be something I'm going to have to spend a lot of time on, though. But it got me going on my strategy game uh, kick again. I haven't played Hearts of Iron 4, but I've played other strategy games like this, especially older ones. Like, I used to play Axis and Allies on PC religiously when I was in high school. Um, And that was sort of how I got my start into these super in-depth grand strategy games. And they're a lot of fun, but God, do they eat up a lot of time if you really get into them. Yeah, that's why I I wanted to highlight that I was uh, getting into it and, you know, starting the journey. It's just... I watched a, a Quill, well, it was Quill 18's uh, t- uh, angry tutorial, you know, t- teaching the basics. But because of that, you know, it d- doesn't really give you a direction of what to do afterwards. So I'm able to do the very basic stuff, but it's uh, it's just Hitler sitting in Germany wondering what the hell. Yeah. The Germans are usually the best ones to, to start out with first because they, uh, the Blitzkrieg gives you a lot to do in the early game as the Germans well, if you Well, the early game for this uh, are uh, is in the late 30s, not uh, yeah, before the war. No, far before the war actually. Yeah, Hitler's Rasta power. Okay. So, yeah, it's uh it's also building up your army and uh, you know, uh, doing the Tamar tradition of invading Poland. Right, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, the main reason why a lot of people suggest, uh, playing Germany is that you determine when World War II starts. But, uh, because I don't know how to start World War II, it's, I'm still sitting there rather confused. <laughs> right. But overall, I am enjoying it so far. It's just, I'm very confused by it. But it's getting me back into my strategy kick. And that's awesome. pretty much all I can say about it right now. I'll, I'll report back in on this one later once I've uh, figured out you know, a few more things and uh, learned to be Hitler a little bit better. Well, good. I look forward to hearing about your time spent as being literally Hitler. Yeah. Um, yeah, it turns out uh, I still think uh, Trump is an ass. So you know. I don't know what, uh, what the neo-Nazis <laughs> are thinking. So my last two games are games that I didn't like and returned after I purchased and played them uh, during the Steam sale. The first one is called Sentience, the Android's Tale. Uh, This is a game that does have positive reviews on Steam, and it's a story-driven mix of a point-and-click adventure game and also sort of a top-down RPG maker maker type game. Um, And I played this game for nearly the two hours allowed before return you know the automatic return ends Mm -hmm. and i hadn't figured out a single fucking thing aside from what happened in the opening um text crawl explanation about the human and ai wars and how you were one of the last surviving sentient ais and you were being sent away for your own protection like that's literally all i got you show up at this outpost that's supposedly like on an outer rim planet and they're in desperate need of, of robots to do manual labor and science and exploring and et cetera. And I spent nearly two hours walking around this base, talking to people, trying to find out what to do besides a simple fetch quest that was to find scrap metal lying around and bring it back to this dude. And I was interacting with stuff and picking up items that, that had no exploration or description. The soundtrack wasn't very good, and it would not run in full screen. 
So oh, all a, of those things, all of those things combined, I just was like, yeah, this might turn into a really good story, but I'm not going to waste any more time trying to find it. So, I mean, that's really all I have to say about it. It had a really good setup, and then it just kind of fell apart immediately. So, so would not recommend. Well, all right. Well, uh, after uh, starting Hearts of Iron 4, but you know, not really getting traction on it, it got me going on my strategy games again, and I fell back on one that I actually knew somewhat what to do on. Uh, Civilization Five, and it's been a while since I played this, and I picked up a a Civ that I hadn't really played all that much, the Incas, and I've been having a lot of fun with it. So, the reason why my last three games are uh, uh, are connected, uh, have you figured it out? Um, no. I'm planning to do Civilization Five on my channel. Ah, oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, now you see uh, uh, the grand strategy of it all. Uh-huh. Huh? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, uh, not really a lot to talk about it just yet. It's just I spent several evenings uh, uh, doing one more turn and got really into it again and thought, you know, I need a replacement for Never Alone. How about a game I'm actually enjoying? <laughs> No, that makes too much sense. Well, I can't be miserable all the time. Only most of it. <laughs> right? Well, not with that attitude. And I figured, yeah, learn a new civilization. I mean, I already, uh, uh, uh you know, had the culture of one uh, Native American people uh, destroyed for me. Let's uh, destroy another one. Because I was planning Sounds on doing like- the Incas. Also, they they have a a good plan. Also, they really changed things up. uh, That particular civilization, Uh, just the their uh, uh, alternate unit, uh, or their well, not their alternate unit, but their uh, their unique uh, improvement. Uh, It changes what makes a good city placement. Because they have terrace farms, so uh, they get a bonus uh, to hilly uh, country, and even more so if it's mountainous. Hmm. Interesting. And they also good bonus. and they also uh, don't take penalties for hilly uh, country for movement. And uh, they could go Civ Four like uh, on their road system, and go absolutely batshit insane with it. They get free roads uh, in hills and uh, half pr- uh, price everywhere else. Nice. That's a good. That's good. That's good throughout the entirety of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Let's put it this way: uh, because of all those bonuses and, or, and change or unique things about them, uh, they have some rather uh, uh, diverse strategies that you can do with them. And I'm looking forward to doing them on the YouTube channel and then having Kyle show up and say everything I'm doing wrong. <laughs> You're doing it wrong. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be an interesting time. And who knows, maybe I'll uh, install the uh, Hitler mod and be literally Hitler in this. <laughs> literally Hitler. It's the only way to go. You, you never go full Nazi. Only mostly. All right. Well, the last game on my list is Monster Mon Piece. 
Monster Mon Piece is a visual novel game with this sort of turn-based... Card game? Tactical tower defense card game? Yeah, let's put it this um, way. I went to the screenshots, and I think I see why you picked it up. Yeah, so you are a monster trainer, and you capture monster girls who have powers, and you train them, and you use them in battle, and it's got a, a card-based you know, deck system like, you know, any other CCG. Um, but instead of just playing out like Hearthstone or whatever, uh, there's a, a a battle grid that you place cards down on, and every turn, uh, your entire side advances by one square, and whenever they interact with other, or with enemy cards, they fight. Um, and it's just like pre-based stuff, you know, like this card does three, has three attack, and the card it's attacking has you know four hp so does three damage the other card has one hp etc there's cards that heal and there's cards that do aoe damage and um you can play uh other cards or potions or things like that to you know on your turn to increase your chances of winning healing your your monster girls whatever you know just sort of standard affair for that sort of thing and then the tower defense aspect comes in because each of you has a has a base, and whenever the cards reach the base, they do damage to the base. And then, obviously, the first player whose base hits zero HP or runs out of cards loses because it's got a you you have to have a minimum deck size of thirty, but it's got a maximum deck size of fifty. I so think. in other words, you probably want to be closer to fifty than thirty. Pretty yeah, probably. I didn't get super far in the game before I refunded it. Uh, because I didn't realize that this game is a retail game uh, with microtransactions and a uh, oh. not only that, but because it's a CCG, you can buy card packs. And so I went. I played through the tutorial in the first mission, and then it's like, hey, why don't you go to the store to buy some items and equipment for your journey? And I'm like, okay, this is pretty standard RPG stuff. They're just teaching me about the store and what items to buy. And so it's like, hey, here's some items, and here's some stuff. Oh, and also, you can buy card packs to get new girls. And I'm like, oh, no. If it's just in-game currency, I can stomach it. And I mean, that's pretty like, standard uh, for in-game currency with the uh, card games. Is it single player? Right. Yeah, it's single player. Oh. So I'm like, if it's just in-game currency, I can deal with it, because, you know, the type of game that it is. But nope, you can spend real money on it. And of course, you know, you can spend anywhere from 99 cents to $99 and 99 cents. And I immediately went, nope, fuck this. And I uninstalled it and refunded it. Which is really sad because it seemed like a pretty decent game after the tutorial level and the first mission. Um, it, it's not got the best graphics, but it, when you're actually playing and the system, like the battle mode is honestly a little bit clunky. But the story seemed like a pretty decent story. The The art style is just pretty standard, but also pretty good. And there's monster girls with big boobies. And I like that sort of thing, obviously. So, you know, I was interested in a new schlocky game to play. But I don't, I don't do games with microtransactions, and especially not... Single player? Yeah. So, I, uh, I refunded it. Got my one ninety nine back, and that was that. So that's all the games that we played. It only took us two hours, two hours, give or take, for our 
a short break, so. I don't know why you listed an hour. I thought I said an hour and a half, which I was still off, but still. Yeah. Let's change that to 120 minutes. That's the longest games we've played section ever. We did it, guys. We did it. Yeah, so ready to talk about a game? Yeah, let's go talk about a game. Let's go talk about our monthly game club game, well, somewhat monthly Herbal this Space time Program. And for those yeah. who don't know, the game club is, well, usually monthly. Uh, the last recording of the month, we both play the same game because our tastes somewhat diverge. And we uh, picked Kerbal Space Program for the month of December. And this, well, in uh, a perfect world would have been recorded last week, but we had other things to do and a uh, filler to uh, put out. <laughs> Indubitably. And we also uh, highly uh, uh, encourage uh, community feedback and participation in this section, which uh, you should probably check the mailbag. Yep, we did receive a audio or an audio letter from GoShark and from Kyle. And because those were sent to us last minute under the wire, we haven't actually listened to yeah. them. So should we stop and listen to those for a few minutes? Uh, let's go ahead and go through this and then we'll uh, deal with that. Okay, sounds good. So Kerbal Space Program is, we have a bit of a history with this game, as most listeners would know, but if you're a new, a new listener or a newer listener, you might not realize yeah, it. Yeah, first of all, welcome, uh, and second of all, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this show got its start out of the, at like like a phoenix, we rose from the ashes of a Kerbal Space Program podcast known as Kerbalcast. Yeah, don't go uh, searching for all... that, it's uh, been kind of erased from the internet. <laughs> Isn't it archived on YouTube? Uh, well, I uh, put an archive on archive.org uh, of uh, okay. the uh, pretty much just a feed dump. I didn't uh, organize that uh, R file whatsoever. Or, but yeah, it's pretty much the only record I think left of it because uh, the uh, uh, well, the account uh, ran out of money and uh, closed, and uh, the Twitter feed actually uh, got deleted. Yeah, and while we've internally, those of us that have come from that show have speculated endlessly about what happened. We won't actually get into that here, but that podcast died, and we all became friends because of that podcast. And you and I, Rage, just decided two years ago now, like, hey, let's give this podcast thing a shot. Yeah, they. And yeah, I I'll- mean, they're able to do it, and they're idiots. <laughs> and our entire list, or our entire initial listening base was people who listened to Kerbalcast and also liked us and had become friends with us. Um, because I wound up becoming like the community manager for uh, Kerbalcast and organized like multiplayer nights and stream nights and stuff, and brought some members of the community together. So we have a long history with KSP before this. Plus. We, it's probably the most personal game that we've played on Game Club just due to our connections for it. Yeah. So the the thing is though is that we did neither of us played KSP for at least a year, maybe longer. Yeah, I think it was this. over so, two years. Uh, the last time I really played was when it did its or just before its uh, full release, and then I may have loaded it up a couple times after that just to poke around with it, but didn't really put any particular time in it because. Uh, you know, botting the game and getting it up and running with uh, my particular flavor of things is usually a pain in the ass. Yeah. So, uh, so it, it had been a while, and there have been several major updates since the last time we both played. And we decided, sort of for old time's sake, 
let's just go ahead and do it. So both of us played KSP a number of hours this month. Um, and we're going to do the game club. Yeah. So for anyone who is uninitiated, Kerbal Space Program is a silly yet serious take on managing a space program and rocketry. It is as realistic as it can be. There are I would some say issues. arcade sim. Yeah. Yeah, there there are some issues with glitches and bugs and, and rounding errors and things um, where that they have went for the gameplay fun aspect as opposed to a hardcore sim. But it's realistic enough that things like the uh, what is it? The rocket something equation yeah it actually applies uh, where that real world science actually applies and you can genuinely sit down and do calculations to figure out the most you know to engineer appropriately sort of perfect matches for what you need to accomplish your goals and there is an entire simulated solar system that is not exactly a recreation of ours but there's several key features like Kerbin, which is the main planet, is obviously stand-in for Earth. Duna is a stand-in for Mars, and etc. Um, there's a moon, which in the game is called the Mun, which is a stand-in for our well, moon. Uh, well, has a second properly moon, pronounced, it would be moon because it has an umlaut. But so it's it's not a copy of our solar system, but it is representative of also, of our solar system. Uh, the game is broken down into three modes. There's sandbox mode, which gives you everything and you can do whatever there's science mode which you have to do science or collect science you have to do science science um, stand back i'm doing science. science you have to collect science from running science missions and putting science parts on your craft that can you know collect weather data and etc etc and there's a progression of parts that you unlock by collecting science points and then spending them to unlock the next group of parts and then there's career mode which has that and then also you have to more fully manage your space program because you have funds that you collect to um, upgrade your buildings to purchase rockets and parts and you have missions to complete some of them are passenger transportation missions some of them are science related some of them are put a satellite in orbit at on this orbit. Yeah, some are uh, screw up the uh, that perfectly positioned satellite that you've already put in orbit to move it to a different orbit. Yeah. So career mode is is as close as they have to running a space program. Yeah, which it's a very light simulation of a space program. There's uh, it, uh Well, uh, should we just get this out of the way? Your initial thoughts of uh, Carbal Space Program going into it with your critical hat on? Yeah, Kerbal Space Program is a lot of fun, but if you're not good at setting your own goals, it gets incredibly repetitive and boring quickly. On top of that, despite the fact that over the years they've fixed a lot of bugs, it still is a pretty buggy mess at times, and I've suffered more than one craft explosion or weird physics glitch that has fucked everything up. Well, see, I didn't uh, run into any uh, physics glitches or anything like that, but then again, well, well, I, I take that back. I did have my plane twerking at one point. Ooh, twerking! Uh, because, uh, the, well, I was using a uh, parts pack for extra airplane parts because 
the airplanes uh, portion of this uh, game is, well, very light, and there's not a lot of rocket parts either. I mean, there's enough to really do a fair amount of stuff, but there's not a lot of variety, so you would run into uh, launching pretty much the same rocket over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, you do that a lot, especially in the early game, because you're, you'll build a rocket, at least for... So, okay, I played in science mode. Science mode is my favorite mode because I like the part progression, but I don't like having to deal with funds and things because that system is, like you said, it's a very light simulation, and it's frustrating because it's it's not as in-depth as, um, as I well, wish it was. Well, the funds isn't... Uh, uh- that much of a deal. Well, I also run with uh, a stage recovery on uh, a mod that uh, if you are able to soft land or parachute a uh, rocket uh, a stage down, you get a portion of that money back. So it encourages you to uh, you know, throw a couple of parachutes on and, you know, <laughs> or uh, build your rocket uh, with the SpaceX uh, style of uh, reusability and cut down heavily on your costs. But the reason why I prefer career mode over science mode is that it gives at least some direction. Because, I gotta be perfectly honest, uh, Kerbal is a sandbox game in the literal sense of the word, where you don't really have any particular goals if you're not given them uh, by a career mode uh, contract. And there's really little reason, unless you have mods installed, to... Uh, visit and stay at a planet outside of you know, saying I've been there. Yeah. See, the mod that I used to increase that was one of the planetary colonization mods, um, so that I would have a, a greater incentive to actually do things other than just okay. I've been here. I've collected the science. Let's go to the next place. Yeah. See, my big thing is I install a bunch of uh, contract packs that adds more variety. Uh, my favorite I love to do, uh, even though uh, the way uh, Kerbal's uh, part progression is set up, and this is probably something we could talk about, is set up rovers and uh, have them uh, start going around. But uh, Kerbal's uh, part progression just feels so weird whenever you look at it in a critical sense. Uh, it goes manned missions, unmanned missions, rovers, uh, slash land, or uh, actually... Uh, uh, manned, unmanned, landers, rovers. It just feels so strange because of that. Yeah, I actually don't... I mean, that's generally... That is the part progression. As soon as I get the first... Oh, oh uh, sorry. I, I, I forgot. Uh, uh, unmanned, manned airplanes. <laughs> yeah. But as soon as I get the, the state Putnik, I pretty much go in all unmanned. It's difficult because the State Putnik doesn't have uh, flight assist yeah. or whatever it is. SAS. Uh, that, stability. Yeah, uh, SAS. Uh, st- stability assistant, uh, system, if I recall correctly. Yeah, but after like five or six hundred hours of KSP, I'm I, even like, it was, it was sort of like riding a, you know, riding a bicycle. It took me a little bit to get back in the swing of it, but once I was, it was just like I had never stopped playing. Yeah, see, I... I change up my progression a bit with uh, the inclusion of the sounding rocket mod. That was a good mod. <laughs> Essentially, sounding rockets is just a larger version of model rockets. And they're all uh, unmanned uh, and have built in uh, uh, their own little version of uh, science packages that 
you're able to launch into various biomes and uh, do science and uh, get a sort of a kickstart on your pro- uh, uh, progression and uh, gets rid of a bit of the grinding because typically uh, you're encouraged to grind out a few experiments or just have a Kerbal get out of the spacecraft and uh, yeah, do science around the space center which feels off yeah yeah that's definitely true like once I got sounding rockets because you recommended that mod and I downloaded and installed it and I, I restarted my game typically what I would do is I would just put a pod or not a pod put a um, a capsule on the launch pad and have my Kerbal get out and collect samples from all around the launch pad get enough science to get up the first couple of tiers to the Stay Putnik and then start launching rockets and collecting the rest of the science that way because I just honestly I don't like doing manned anything until I get the research uh, research labs and then I'll put a low carbon orbit research lab and you know call it the KSS and then I'll usually put a research lab around one of Kerbal's moons and it's just sort of what I feel like whether I go for Minmus or the moon and then I'll launch one to Duna and then I usually stop playing because it, that takes dozens and dozens of hours and I've had my fill and so I move on to a different game and then when I come back whenever I come back I'll start over because I'll like load it up and I'll be like shit I don't remember what I was doing or all of your mods are broken or all of my mods are broken yeah yeah uh, well my uh, build is uh, uh, actually slows me down a bit because I run with uh, remote tech which also favors uh, unmanned missions but they it gives a flight computer, but you have to manually program it. So, I'm able to have more options with my uh, uh, with my systems, but it also requires the uh, connection back to uh, the KSC or through relay satellites, which it heavily encourages uh, putting a, a relay network in as soon as possible. Otherwise, you hit uh, black spot. Uh, you know, uh, untransmittable uh, areas, your probe goes dead, and then you're kind of screwed. Yep. I do, th- so that has been in, there's a yeah, sort yeah, of there's a, a, a light Yeah, there's a light version, version of that. that. have any sort of flight computer, so if you go on the dark side of a planet, you're screwed. Which, uh, uh, yeah, there's... Uh, uh, the game just, uh, I'm probably going to get uh, raked over the coals for saying this, but it honestly doesn't feel done. There's a lot of yeah. a sort of half-based baked systems. There's a lot of things that are missing. Like there's uh, after all this time, they never figure out a way to tell you uh, just how much delta v, how much, uh, how far your rocket could go on its fuel. So you're left with either using an external tool, using a mod, or guessing, and that's a very basic thing. Yeah, uh, this game is it's not unplayable stock. Or, or with no mods. It's, it's not unplayable. That's probably the best way to learn your way around the game. It's just, just play stock. Because some of these mods can get pretty overwhelming. Both with the information that they give you and the things that they add. But after, I don't know, 10, 20 hours of stock play, there are some mods that are basically must-haves because of what you just said. Like Even if you want to stick to as much stock as possible in terms of parts and gameplay mechanics, the game is nigh unplayable without either Kerbal Engineer or Mechjet, which both have 
uh, parts that you can attach to your craft or depending on what game mode you are in, they just give you this information for how much Delta V your craft has and which can allow you to calculate roughly how far you can go and what you can do. And docking is also nigh impossible without uh, one of the mods that improves the docking system. Yeah, but see, you can get by on that one with the stock. Yeah, I'm crazy with uh, the docking. I don't use the uh, standard uh, docking uh, helpers. I use a uh, a HUD uh, that displays the uh, well, the essentially the nav ball just in world, and it gives me the uh, vectors uh, uh, on screen, so I'm able to just line it up like that. So I'm able to see. Okay, my docking uh, port is there. Uh, if I push forward a little bit, uh, go back a little bit, up, up to the left. Uh, sorry, ch- up a bit. A cha- a channeling MK from Kerbalcast, <laughs> uh, and uh, get my prograde vector on the docking port. I'll know that I'll dock, and I don't have a dedicated uh, mod for it because I use that for. Well, assuming I could get the damn uh, uh, gamepad to work with it. <laughs> Uh, for uh, airplane travel. But uh, that's my other real complaint, is that they never really put in proper gamepad support. I mean, it's their rudimentary, but I could not get it to work with my gamepad if I had it turned off and uh, I turn it on uh, while in game. It has to be on while in game, or while firing up the game. Otherwise, it just completely fucking ignored it. And that just inexcusable really there should be hot swappable or be able to pick it up you know and even yeah. uh, trying to define the controls for the damn thing when it worked okay uh, set the control uh, you know let's uh, put uh, y'all left and right on the triggers because you know that's uh, my best analog control for that okay set that save it go to my menu load my game which is uh, go to the uh, uh game select, choose my save file, go into the game, load the game, load to the KSC, get in the airplane that's sitting on the runway, try out my recall controls. Fuck, they're backwards. Alright. Uh, go back to the uh, uh, KSC, uh, quit to main menu, go into the saves, reverse the controls, save that, go back and try it again. And for some of the controls, I had to do that several times to get it right. And it's just, why is it like that? Why is there no way to define the controls in the flight scene? Because. Yeah, that's Because aliens, got it. This is one of those game clubs where we're really taking a huge shit on Kerbal Space Program. uh, Well, I have the inverse bell curve uh, of, uh, yeah, my criticism. If I think a game is kind of meh, I don't really have a lot to say about it. If I really like the game or really hate the game, I have a lot to say about it, and I get start to nitpick. And this is on the... Uh, I really do like Kerbal. It's just there's a lot of things that it could have done so much better that once I put my critical hat on and start looking at it, especially since it's left early access and spent... It's been a damn year doing an engine update that... For gameplay-wise, outside of you know, adding the ability to add more mods, which you start running into performance issues because it doesn't really do all that well with uh, processing, it doesn't it that 
huge, long, arduous journey did absolutely nothing gameplay-wise for the game. Yeah. It made it more stable, too. Yeah. It made the, the memory leaks take a lot longer to crash the game. Yeah, true. I'll give it that much. Yeah, now I have to go through all 16 gigs of my RAM to uh, crash uh, uh, due to a memory leak. It's the, the original, what was it? Uh, th- Four. Yeah. Four, uh, well, three point whatever, because yeah. it was a 32-bit game, so... It didn't quite get four gigs of RAM. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what else there is to really say at this point. Um, how many hours have you played KSP total? Uh, well, I've, uh, I really can't say that one because I do have the Steam version, but I typically would uh, take my Steam version, copy uh, and uh, drag it out of uh, Steam. So whatever it uh, would do an update during its early access it wouldn't break my game. Right. So my time is probably half of what it is in uh, uh, actual Kerbal, and I'd have to go look at my profile because uh, I don't recall what my hours is. I know it's up there. I know it's... I think it's easily above 100. Yeah, my my time playing KSP is... I just looked at it. It's 531 hours. And I've played all on Steam. There might be a few extra hours, because sometimes whenever you play offline, um, it doesn't add the hours, and uh, I did have played... KSP does run on my laptop poorly, but it does run, so I've played KSP a number yeah, of hours Kerbal on my laptop is reporting on trips 318 hours just on Steam, so I would say double that. Okay, so you've played about 600 hours. When, you, when I throw in my laptop hours, I've probably played about 550 or so. Um... So, I mean, we've both played this game, between the two of us, over a thousand hours, easily. And, I mean, that takes a lot of dedication. Yeah, like, but we still obviously don't hate Scott, the game. Scott Manley. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we're also not as good as Scott Manley. Um, yeah, I mean, w- would you recommend KSP to someone who's never played it before? Oh, I think it really depends on how they feel about space uh, in general or space exploration, because... As a game itself, you know, without any external things, it's a tough recommendation just because of really a lot of annoyances of its design. As someone that's interested in science and interested in space, it's pretty hard not to recommend it. Okay. It's kind of a I odd also- thing, huh? <laughs> I would I would recommend it to anybody who is remotely interested in rocketry or aviation or space um and i think i would show it to anybody who wasn't interested just be like hey check out this cool tool and what you can do with it it is uh, i have done that before it is uh, just an uh, amazing experience uh you know uh getting that rendezvous for the first time or getting that docking for the first time or even landing on a uh foreign body yeah i have shown this game off before to people who don't play games don't really give a shit and it's like wow that's really cool and that's a robust amount of tools like even people who weren't gamers like i didn't realize that you could do this kind of stuff in video games i just thought they were you know children's toys or whatever i've shown it to my mom which you know i've my mom has some interest in gaming she mostly just plays wow and a couple other rpgs but i've shown it to her and she's really impressed I've shown it to some other friends that don't really game, and they were impressed. So, definitely recommend it to anybody who 
has a remote interest in science, space, or aviation. And I think I'd give it a recommendation, too, even to people who are just gamers that don't have an interest in those things. They could find it cheap enough. It usually doesn't go below 20 bucks on sale. Yeah, that's the other thing, is that it's not really drops to the impulse buy range. It's sticks around uh, its full price, which it is a very expensive game uh, for what it is, in my opinion. It, it, oh, it's, a- it's, uh, it's always... Uh, it doesn't go below its uh, 50% uh, half off, so, you know, uh, 40 bucks normally. Yeah. For someone who is interested in this sort of thing, it's definitely worth it in terms of the hours that they can get in. I mean, I bought it for 20 bucks on sale a couple of three years ago it was when it was in beta 0.9 was when i jumped on board um so that would have been two and a half or three years ago and i mean you know 600 hours or 550 hours and counting for 20 bucks is good value and i've enjoyed most of the time that i've spent uh sometimes i've gotten frustrated and things like that before but that's sort of the nature of the game too you know get in Whenever you're trying to do something and you just can't quite get it, and it gets really frustrating. So I don't, I don't think that that's a, a bad mark on the game. It's just it can be really fucking hard sometimes because science and space are brutal and they take no prisoners. Yeah, science doesn't take any prisoners. It's a, a, a like I said, it's a hard recommendation for me for someone that doesn't have interest in science because I think they'll launch a couple rockets, blow up uh, the. Uh, uh, the vehicle assembly build, building and not really progress. And it requires a lot of things. It doesn't really teach all that well. It does have tutorials, but it doesn't give enough information about how to deal with things. Right. Which is, uh, well, it does have an educational version that may teach a little bit better, but because it, does it in the base game it's hard to recommend for someone that doesn't already have that spark you know that uh, interest granted uh, they did market this game very well yeah they uh, did for good reason i mean they uh, before uh, squad went into uh, game development with this they were a marketing company in, in uh, mexico so they knew how to play the marketing uh, game and uh, yeah qt aliens uh, and doing wacky things uh, it got a certain appeal and got a lot more attention because of that. Yeah. Definitely. I don't really know if I have m- much else to say about it, honestly. I, I just um, always wish that it kind of developed into something more. Granted, they do have an expansion coming out. Yeah, I suppose we'll see how, how well that goes. But it seems like they're going for almost part packish uh, expansion, which, once again, is a bit of a disappointment. Yeah, where so many mods focus on that. I get that there's probably a, a small subset of the player base that doesn't use mods, but I can't imagine that that's very large. Uh, outside of the console side of things, which they had to re-release the console version as an enhanced edition <laughs> with uh, uh, better controls because it was such a, a disaster of a port. I I was not aware of that actually. Yeah, uh, they are re-releasing the console version, and I believe they're giving it to previous uh, buyers for free because uh, the console version just never read that well. Granted, the 
uh, uh, it does have a fairly good uh, uh, gamepad uh, controls. They uh, have this uh, sort of time dilation uh, or negative time dilation thing whenever you're uh, looking for action groups uh, to uh, try to make up for the fact that they don't have a keyboard. Right. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I wish they had the uh, gamepad support on uh, the PC version. That's that's the one thing I wish for. Yeah, I've I've played actually using my joystick before. It's well, okay. Well, the thing is that I don't because I've transitioned from a wired controller to a wireless controller. I don't keep my controller on all the time now. So that's also right. you know, uh, the uh, problem with that. Before I could just leave my controller plugged in and you know. Uh, yeah, not touching, it'll, it'll be fine, but because I have a wireless controller now, and I've set up uh, DualShock for Windows to shut down my controller if it's idle for too long, I either have to go in and turn off that setting, and then yeah, forget about it later, and then run my battery dead on my controller, or, you know, just, I guess I could just plug in the controller, but that, you know, it's probably not a good idea to play a DualShock controller with it plugged in if that wouldn't have to put a lot of stress on that small uh, port, right? It uses a micro USB yeah. port, so it doesn't seem like a great idea to do that. Hey, guys. Uh, hope I get this in time. Uh, it's been a long time since I sent something in, so let's give it a shot. Anyways, uh, talking about KSP, what can I say about it? I can say for sure that it's, pro- it's my most played game ever. Um, Judging by the number of hours it's on my Steam account, and that's not including all of the extra hours I put into the uh, non-Steam-based uh, folders I had for it. Um, let's see. I can say that, without a doubt, if uh, I didn't pick up KSP, then I wouldn't know as much about science than I do now. Uh just from trying to research and understand how physics works so I could build a better ship or just figure out, uh, read more about the stars and planets and how they all interact and align with each other. Uh, Just because of the curiosity that I had from playing the game, uh, I definitely wouldn't know as much as I do now. It was also one of those games that really helped to uh, fuel my love for mods and the need to constantly and change things to the point that I'm probably not playing anything close to what the original game was. Uh, with KSP, you really couldn't do that. It was basically just adding more to the base. You could never really turn KSP away from some from what it actually was, which was just a physics playground, solar system exploring kind of game. Uh, that being said, uh, there's a few favorites that I'll pick out. Um, Early on, Lackluster Labs was my favorite, along with B9 Aerospace Packs, uh, KW Rocketry. Uh, I moved on to FASA for some super realistic kind of stuff after a while. Uh, the USI mod packs from Rover Dude have always been a staple of any game that I have. Probably one of the reasons why I take so much startup time, or, you know, setup time for me to get all my mods right because they're pretty in-depth. Uh, as far as other stuff, the, the KSO shuttles, the Kerbal Shuttle Orbiter, that uh, I believe it was Helldiver? 
a laser or something like that. I can't remember who it was, but it was a big old pack full of uh, 1.25 diameter rocket uh, shuttles and then eventually a 2.5 diameter, which uh, I ended up building an entire series of, of launches off of that, where everything that went up in space was carried on the back of a shuttle, or inside of a shuttle, I guess. Recently, I've taken a liking to the Tantras and the Blue Dog Heroes uh, packs, which respectively do the Soviet and U.S. Uh, race to space uh, programs very well. Um, yeah, that's probably going to be about the best I can manage right now on short term. I want to try to get this to you guys before... Uh, final recruiting time, so uh, I will say the last thing that I'm planning on doing, I wasn't able to get too much into it in the last month or two since I decided I wanted to try it out, is uh, setting up a new playthrough using Blue Dog Bureau, Tantoriz, uh now I'm blanking on a name, but the, the mod adds all the different space or, you know, space station, uh, launch sites around the globe on Kerbin. Uh, and eventually do a kind of a multinational uh, cooperative of space programs and launches where each site kind of has their own little thing that they contribute or send up and with the goal of eventually running around colonizing all the planets using the USI stuff. That's something I'm working on. Uh, the last time I played, it was some crazy mix-up of me playing around with uh, an Apollo capsule, air, you know, Apollo era capsule, and, and a Skylab type uh, space station. So that, along with having a bunch of ground science, um, I think it was the the ground research pack or whatever it's called. Uh, and some crazy rovers that I was building mixed together with the uh, the airships pack. So I end up having a mega airship with a runway on top and a hangar bay in the middle with plenty of gondolas full of science and engineering compartments and stuff. And it was going to be my... Uh, Oh, also, it was electric powered with, or it was electric powered propellers with a nuclear generator inside of it. Quite uh, an amazing contraption that I built. Uh, but it also was capable of endless flight around Kerbin um, with vehicles inside of it to drop off or fly around for extra science. So, not very useful considering that I was playing in sandbox mode, but. Story-wise, I was going to get a lot of screenshots or pictures, possibly video of the exploits of the crew, but it was going to be pretty fun. Um, currently, it was at the last time I was using it was being filled with vehicles and airplanes to be sent out, but it was just kind of floating around the KSB at the time. So, but yeah, that's the kind of stuff I'm looking to do, and that's the kind of stuff I've always done. I have had a blast doing it, and I hope to continue having more fun with KSV in the future. Um, regardless of what happens, with unstable at times. I don't know. 
it's kind of one of those games that I'm always going to go back to it and enjoy it whenever I can. Alright, I guess that's going to be about it for me, and I will go ahead and hang this up so you guys can continue uh, doing whatever you're doing, talking about about the KSB. Alright, later. Greetings, J. Arthur and Caffeine Rage. This is Kyle coming at you about the Game Club Game of the Week, Kerbal Space Program. Kerbal Space Program is a game. I'm looking forward to the discussion you guys are going to have about this. This has been Kyle. Thanks for listening. Well, I guess that was Kyle's letter for the week. Seriously, Kyle? Yes, seriously. Okay, okay, maybe I do have some more to say about it than that, considering my entire YouTube career was basically built on this one game. Anyways, I started playing KSP way, way back in the day with the uh, .12 build, I believe. Now, I know some people started playing earlier, but uh, to me, it filled a niche that wasn't really serviced to. There wasn't like a cartoony, simmy spaceflight sort of thing, and even though you could really only launch a rocket, orbit uh, Kerbin, and maybe go to the Mun, not land on it because there weren't really any landing legs, it was still just an incredible experience to go ahead and get to play with orbital mechanics. That having been said, I mean, this was always a community-driven game. I remember one of the most important things I did when playing KSP was consult the forums, and everybody basically knew everybody at that early stage, if not necessarily by screen name, then by speciality. That's about the time that I decided to get into YouTube with KSP. Now, my early videos were really, really rough. I mean, it was just stuff like downloading a couple of parts packs for legs and going to the MUN and trying to uh, land as best I could, because at this stage, there weren't patched conics trajectories, so you really had to kind of guess and check by altitude and uh, the position of the MUN in relation to Kerbin and your spacecraft about getting over to the MUN, and it was kind of the Wild West. I mean, if people figured out something and they put it on YouTube, they could actually get quite a few views. And I was basically obscure for a long time, then .18 rolled around. I remember when .18 came out, it was the first KerbalCon, and I was determined to be one of the first to introduce rendezvous by nodes and docking by instrumentation. I was in college at this time, and in my classes I was actually writing down physics notes to get two things to dock in orbit and prove my theories on how to dock easily. And I knew, I knew if I was the uh, one of the first ones to post this and have a good video, I stood a good chance of actually standing out in the KSP YouTube community. Which is exactly what happened. While .18 was downloading, Mel's was trying to um, <clears throat> get to business, and uh, I was actually sort of ignoring her while watching the uh, download bar because I just knew that I had to be one of the first to introduce... Uh, docking by instrumentation, and rendezvous by nodes, which I did. I got my videos up at like 2 in the morning, and I was dog-tired. I went to bed not knowing if these two videos would get any traffic whatsoever. And lo and behold, they did. I went from having maybe like a 1,000 views to having over 15,000 views basically overnight just because everybody was watching these videos because everybody wanted to know how to do this. And that's basically how my YouTube career went, and... My big mistake with KSP was tying it to my YouTube channel. See, while I still think KSP is a fun game, I got very burned out on it because KSP stopped being something that I would do for fun. It became something that I had to do to produce content. And while I was very successful at it for a very long time, eventually I ran out of new stuff to show, and that just made the game very frustrating for me because I could either sit there and bastardize videos that other people had done to try and generate content for myself, 
or I would have to spend hours upon hours a day literally banging my head against some engineering wall until I figured out some clever way to do it. Which I understand that's KSP in a nutshell right there, but the fact of the matter was if I wanted continued views, I had to do that, and that ultimately is what kind of ruined KSP for me. And I've tried to go back and just play it recreationally, but ultimately, I mean, I just got really burned out on the game, which is basically the major risk that early access runs, that people can get very burned out on a game before it's even released. Now, am I saying that people shouldn't go play KSP if they've never played it, or just play it again if they enjoy it? Hell no. Like what you like, and honestly, there's a lot worse time sinks than KSP. My closing thoughts are these. KSP... It really actually shaped my life in a lot more ways than just giving me YouTube content. Yeah, it made me a YouTuber for a few years, and that was fun, but ultimately I got burned out on the game. But it did also introduce me to the Kerbalcast, which is actually how I got started contributing to podcasts and why you're even hearing my letter on this channel at all. So KSP will always hold kind of a special place in my heart, even if I don't go back to it anymore. And third, and I guess least significant is if KSP didn't exist, then the character of Crash wouldn't exist either, considering I would have had no reason to modulate my voice. Or should I say, Rage would have had no reason to modulate my voice. Seriously, Kyle? Yes, seriously, Kerbal Rage. Yes, seriously. Anyways, this has been Kyle. Thanks for listening. And maybe next week I'll come back with some more video game legal stuff sort of tangent related. Alright, y'all have a good night. Alrighty. Uh, that was our two audio letters from Ghost Shark and Kyle. Thank you very much. Yeah, pretty much, uh, um, uh, not a lot to add to them. To, uh, uh, Ghost Shark does address the Bethesda pr- uh, complex problem, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, but I, I will, it, it uh, there is one thing that uh, Kyle kind of uh, alluded to, but we didn't really talk to uh, talk about, is uh, the community behind this game and how supportive they mostly are. I mean, granted, you always run into the jerk occasionally. Right. But uh, usually they're very supportive and uh, uh, congratulatory uh, towards milestones, even if it, you know, you're definitely not the first person to land on, uh, land on mine. Yep. But I mean, that is a big milestone for new players, you know. Actually, I went to Minmus first. Yeah, I went to... I landed on the Mun first, but I probed Minmus first. Oh my! Wink. Uh, I I hate to even think what you did to the bowhole. <laughs> oh, when do you like to know? I just found the uh, uh, angle change a lot easier to hit Minmus than it is to land on Mun without really getting a feel for things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't really know if there's if there's anything to add on top of what they Yeah, I just wanted said. to uh, you know, uh, highlight the community. Because uh, there, there was a little bit of an illusion, but not a direct shout-out. So, uh, shout-out to the uh, couple community. You guys are awesome. Indeed. Indeed Speaking really. of awesome things, uh, next game club? Indeed. Our next game club for the month of January is going to be the Telltale game Wolf Among the Us. The Wolf Among Us, isn't it? Isn't the 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 wolf? I typed wolf among us, but it probably is the wolf among us. Now that I think about it, the wolf. Yep, the wolf among us. Yeah, because a wolf among us doesn't sound quite right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But uh, The Wolf Among Us is a Telltale game based on a comic book. It's actually a prequel to the first run of the comics. Uh, I, th- I believe the comic is just called Fable. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had a, yeah, I had a friend that kept trying to get me to uh, read it, but it's a fucking long series. And it just... Yeah, I've never... And I looked at bits and pieces of it, but I never sat down and uh, read the entire thing. Yeah, I've never read the comic at all. I just know of its existence. Well, since this is a prequel, it doesn't really matter. That's true. Very true. So uh, and yeah, I, I imagine we'll there will be a bit of uh, compare and contrast uh, uh, to Life is Strange in this, but this is mostly picked because uh, we're losing it, you know, a week uh, to Kerbal because of just how the timing uh, landed on uh, Jared being out of town. Uh, the award show need to be out either that week or the week after, and just all the madness that the schedule had. Yeah. End of the year is is crazy, especially on the years where it's us that travels to the in-laws and not the other way around. Because at least if I'm home, I have my setup and everything, and we could work something out. But if I'm gone, my laptop, I can't take my entire recording setup with me, and my laptop can't handle it anyway. So with that attitude. <laughs> we recorded the very first episode of the show on my laptop, and that was a disaster. Yeah, and I've... Uh- tried to record an episode on my notebook. Granted, my notebook is probably worse, and uh, well, now it has a power issue that I need to replace the uh, power port on it and just have it uh, uh, wanted to do that because that is tearing the entire thing apart. Yeah. So anyways, yep, next Game Club game, The Wolf Among Us. Let's Let me do a quick look-see. Uh, there are several friends on my... on. That have it. Yeah, and, uh, well, uh, technically we're not losing a week, because it is still four weeks. Yeah, January has five weeks, so. Let's see, Phil, Spaceman, Ghost Shark, Blastodon, and El Maestro. You all have call the out. Wolf Among Us. Yep. Yeah, we'll be recording this on uh, Tuesday, the 30th. Unless, yo, something happens and Jared's life causes more issues. Yeah. It's all. It's always my fault. Actually, on this occasion, it uh, is always my fault. I don't think we've ever missed a single episode because of you. I was too sick to record that one time. Okay, one episode. So it's only ninety nine point nine percent my fault. I can live with that. Actually, that's good. That puts me up a little bit compared to how it usually goes around here for me. Where it's always your fault. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> But let us move on. Uh, there will be some some things cut on the chopping block because we went so long. Yeah, it was mostly uh, games we played. <laughs> we yeah. ended up not talking so about Kerbal as much as we thought. Like, well, Kerbal uh, is a very mechanics-driven uh, game, so I guess that makes sense. So we're just going to skip to Community Corner this week before we get to Jim's uh, text letter. Were there any tweets or anything? Yeah, this week? we actually have two tweets, one from Jim and one from Kyle. Uh, okay. Uh, let's do Kyle first. Uh, VGL Community, uh, Mel's in a Gauterarium with the intent of getting a corn snake. And we're open to suggestions for names. That one snake is the secondary name already. <laughs> yeah. I did. I responded to this tweet. Yeah, earlier. and I responded to you. And I responded to your name. 
Yeah, snakey McSnake face. Yeah, sometimes you're very amusing. And then there's now. <laughs> oh, you think I'm amusing sometimes. That's so nice. Yeah, well, Thank broken you. clock, you know. Fair play. And then, uh, Jim, this is a, a very old tweet, but then again, we haven't exactly done a fresh show for quite a while. Uh, don't miss Jim Sterling's avid takedown of it's just cosmetic argument for ex- uh, excusing exploitative business models. And I do agree that there is a lot of uh, ex- uh, ex- excusing of business models. One of the podcasts I actually listened to, and this is going off of Jim's uh, tweet now, but uh, it's kind of funny. They did their year in special uh, uh, talking about 2017 games because, yeah, that's original. <laughs> I, I realize uh, uh, the hypocrisy in that one. Uh, but uh, they refused to... Uh, uh, they said that they originally had Battlefront 2, but couldn't uh, 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 really support it because of its business practices. They immediately started talking about Destiny 2. <laughs> right. Well done on them. Uh, with massive sarcasm quotes. Uh, and, uh, their argument, a lot of it, well, they kind of glossed over the entire loot box uh, clusterfuck there. But, you know, I have a feeling a lot of uh, their excuse would be just, you know, the, it's cosmetic excuse, which I'm not uh, as uh, hardcore against it as Jim Starling is. But, you know, we are on the slippery slope. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was, a, that was a good good video of Jim's. I would recommend anyone who hasn't seen it to go watch it. Yeah, he is uh, hugely, uh, really anti-microtransaction in general. And uh, just the fact that microtransactions are so, yeah, they're macro these days. But we've gone on to that before. Microtransactions, to me, are always, you know, sub-dollar or, you know, the big ones are uh, over a dollar. You know, most microtransactions these days are at least a dollar, usually a few. Yeah. But then again, I'm a cheapskate. Indeed. Okie dokie. One second, and then we'll dive into Jim's... Boom. Done. For some reason, Idolmaster crashed, so I had to Ah. sign back in. Alrighty. So, Jim, a a couple weeks ago, the last live recording that we did, um, I mentioned the free-to-play stuff and the conversations I'd have with Jim, and I asked him to sort of re-explain what we had talked about and see if he had any sort of good free to play games with good business models to talk about. And he responded to that, uh, with a decent explanation. So we'll get into that. Uh, stop me if you want to talk about All something right. or I can just read the whole thing and then we can talk about All it. Right, I'll stop you. If there's anything I want to jump in on, oh, I'm trying to save what voice I have left because my voice, my throat's feeling rather scratchy now. And I'm on bottle number four of water, and each one is a liter and a half. And that's why right. there's been a few breaks. I, I forgot the right. turbo diaper. <laughs> Poor rage. Okie dokie. Jim begins. The problem with free-to-play games is that they have to suck by design. Allow me to explain. Assumptions. Number one, game developers are in it to make money rather than give away products for free. Number two, most players do not pay a thing. 
The majority of money made is from small from a small segment of the player base. Number three, gamers will not pay unless incentivized to do so. They are not philanthropists either. The problem with free-to-play games that have microtransactions is all to do with how they incentivize players to pay and how much they want to get from each payer. And that is payer, not player. The number of payers... Or number one, the number of payers is much lower, so the average payment per player must be much higher than a traditional game. Number two, whales and dolphins are where they make the bulk of their money, so they are the ones catered to. Number three, cater to whales. The price ceiling must be extremely high or non-existent. Number four, therefore the price to buy everything in the game is usually in the thousands or tens of thousands of dollars. By needing to extract so much money from players, the value per dollar for the microtransactions is really, really low. I really take issue with this fact since the total cost of a game could be $0 plus $2,000. But hey, the first hit is free, slash sarcasm. So, how do developers get people to pay? They introduce pain points, that's pain, pain points, into the game. They could be anything from real-world time delays, grind walls, loss of progress, excessively hard sections, loot boxes, premium currency requirements, etc. This necessarily makes the game less fun to play. If it wasn't, there would be no reason to pay to overcome the pain. My gripe with the business model is that all of the games become too expensive to play. Whether you're talking about excessive grind or excessive microtransaction fees, to a paying player, they offer the lowest value per dollar in gaming. It necessarily has to be that way in order for the game to make up for those who don't pay. So how can someone enjoy free-to-play games? What free-to-play games typically do is gradually increase the amount of pain over time. They have to give, or they have to have a good starting experience because players will quit right away if they hit paywalls immediately. If you play the beginning of a game and quit when it becomes bullshit, you can definitely have fun. However, it does leave most of the game unplayed, assuming you don't have crazy money or an insane tolerance for grind. I'm not willing to give them a free pass on that. A game that you realistically can't play the majority of is not a good game. To answer the question posed in the podcast, what free-to-play games do I consider good? I honestly couldn't think of a single example. Sure, there are games like Crossout, World of Warships, War Thunder, and Robocraft that I had fun playing, but they all started to suck once I got far enough to... Once I got far enough in that the screws really started turning. However, I did eventually realize that there are two classes of free-to-play games that can actually be good. The first is ad-supported games, provided the ads aren't too crazy. The second is probably the most fair and reasonable way of implementing free-to-play, shareware. Shareware solves most of the problems with the business. The player gets a good chunk of the game for free, which also acts like a demo. It removes the need to purchase up front, which is what discourages people from trying full-price games. It also gives the player a chance to s- simply buy the entire game in one go for a fair price, rather than being milked and bilked? Never heard of that word before. For thousands of dollars. The game developers also don't have to make the game's less fun to play to encourage spending. Regards, Jim. Thanks, Jimmy Jam, for that concise, well-worded piece. Bilk. Informal verb, past tense, built, past participle, built, obtain or withhold money from someone by deceit or without justification, cheat or defraud. That is an excellent word, Jimmy Jam. I think I'm going to find ways to incorporate that into my everyday vocabulary. Anyways, yes, uh, that is an excellent and concise explanation. I mean, it's hard Uh, to really argue against that, really. Uh, yeah, I, no, I maybe I'm 
uh, more forgiving on free to play because I tend to not sit down in marathon games most of the time. So something like Warframe, where it has its uh, paywalls, essentially, you know, the uh, crafting delays, uh, leveling up uh, stuff, that sort of thing. It's good for me to jump in and jump out of. Uh, but I know for you, that would be uh, Euro Truck, uh, uh, American uh, Truck Sim, uh, uh, Farming Sim, that sort of thing for uh, Jim specifically. It's just different strikes for different folks. Yeah. Um. And I'm not sure Shareware's really uh, enters in the conversation here because it's also uh, that's what demos used to be, literally. Yeah. Uh, so he's essentially uh, uh, equating the old demo model to what free-to-play is these days, or ad support, which is essentially the mobile market, but then they uh, try to funnel you into more and more ads, which, by design, sucks. Yeah, I would, I think when done properly, ad supported is probably the best free-to-play, but when it when it happens on mobile, it's obviously incredibly obtrusive. Either the game, you know, pauses to show you an ad, or you get constant pop-ups on your screen. And part of that's just game developers abuse the mobile market because they can. Yeah, yes. just wait till Steam but, uh, gets wind of this. But the best sort of advertising that I can think of, and I don't know how this would work with every game, but sports games and uh, Rocket League and things like that, I think we've talked about yeah. this before. If they put ads actually in the game, you know, in the billboards and in the stands and things like that, that's, I mean, that happens in real sports and in real racing. Why not do that and either offset the cost of the game, making it cheaper or free altogether? But, you know, that's basically one genre that has a way to properly do ads without being, without feeling exploitative or taking people out of the game experience. Well, I know, uh, Oh, shoot. Burnout Paradise. It had uh, a real ads on some of its billboards. Yeah, a couple of the Need for Speed games have done that, too. The Underground 2, I believe, did it, and Carbon. So, racing games could get away with it with uh, uh, their billboards. Or even just, uh, you know, sponsorship on the cars themselves, because that's uh, you know, a normal thing. Yeah. Outside of that, though, I don't know how that model would work. I mean, it could just be most games have a launcher or lobbies. There could be ads off to the sides there. Yeah, but I fucking I, hate I'm it sure. whenever I update my drivers and have you know game ads there. Yeah, there could be, I I could see that having potential though. It would take a bit to sit down for some some types of games. Yeah, to but see, this out, isn't but, easy money. That's the also the problem. Yeah. Yeah, the amount that they would get from ad revenue too is, I'm sure, much less than they get from. Yeah, especially uh, especially if there's some sort of big controversy with the game. Yeah, like, can you imagine? Well, uh, it's attached to some tragedy, or you know, or even uh, you know, an outrage group but uh, find something offensive about the game because that has happened. It, uh, if it was attached to their entire income was attached to just advertisers. That would uh, completely uh, ruin them. So yeah. it's a too. I think it's probably too finicky of a system to support uh, wholly. 
Yeah, I do like. I mean, I do like shareware. I do like demos, and I I get where Jim's coming from on that one. But I mean, those have basically disappeared mm-hmm. in the modern landscape. For for better or for worse, they're gone. I mean, you do have YouTube to sort of take that place or Twitch, but I mean, there's nothing like getting hands-on experience with the game yourself to see um, whether or not it's something you would like. Um, and I just and I do. Well, sorry, I'll go ahead. I was gonna say I do really like I do really like that. I miss the days of demo demos and shareware for like, you know, classic Doom and things like that. But I don't know how long shareware lasted actually. I don't well, know even modern demos, uh, they're a rarity. But yeah. a part of the problem is, well, one, if a game is in uh, current development, well, where do you uh, set up the demo? Because you know it's still being built or if it's early access how do you build a demo a uh, had this problem for a long time bringing it back to game club where uh, their demo was uh, severely out of date because they updated the error uh, dynamics model or they updated the uh, launch pad itself so it wasn't an accurate representation or then uh, how do you yeah. limit the game you know do you just uh, limit the parts and then possibly give the wrong idea of what the uh yeah, you know, limits are the game or what? So, uh, yeah, you know, certain games have a severe problem with demos because it just uh, the, it's not easy to have a slice without changing what the game looks like or giving a different impression of the game. Yeah, honestly, at this point, given how that my view has shifted a bit on all of this stuff, probably I would say the best way to. In- enjoy a free-to-play game is to play it until you don't not having fun anymore until you feel like you've hit that wall and then you have to decide for yourself you know is this something that i want to continue doing or do i jump ship and go find another yeah and also try to avoid the the sunk cost fallacy as well yeah yeah that's the one sort of saving grace i guess with this sort of business model is that these games are free and typically the best, like Jim said, the best parts of the game are front-loaded to try and get you hooked so that you'll spend money when you hit the paywalls. So you could have a really good time for for some games, probably hours. Um, yeah, you know, or if you're a, 10 yeah, hours or, or so. Or if you're in uh, mobile seconds. Yeah, 10 hours on PC, 10 seconds on a mobile device. Yeah, then you realize, oh shit, it's another clicker. But a lot of a lot of games too. Just just thinking, like I've I've tried a bunch of different free to play games over the years. Typically, in the beginning, they'll give you a whole bunch of stuff that's time limited, time sensitive. You know, you have to use this stuff now before it's gone. Um, and that would be a really good way to enjoy the game. You know, you get seventy two hours of gear or whatever. Uh, I can't remember what it was, but there's a shooter, a free to play shooter. I know there's several, but one of them gives you like a week with some really good equipment that's sort of like a rental and then it's gone so you could play for that week and enjoy the good gear and having fun and then afterwards if you don't like the gameplay without the good stuff just quit uh well uninstall it and install another game uh blacklight retribution uh did something like that but also you didn't really buy the guns you always rented them and uh, the strongest guns were always the most expensive, and it, it turned into a pay-to-play or pay-to-win th- uh, scenario. Yeah, 
Yep. I, I mean, that can happen sometimes for sure. But I think, I, I mean, really, unless you just find a free-to-play game that you're like, this is my jam. I love this. Which, for me, I think is World of Warships, because I still am playing World of Warships. I just don't talk about it, because I've talked about it like a hundred times on the show. But I just, I love the theme. I love the concept. I have a blast with it. Um, I have put some money into the game, which means that I can basically do whatever I want do in the at the most fun portion of the game, which is like the low to mid-range matches. So, I have a good time when I play it. But... Any, all of the other free-to-play games that I've ever played, I just get tired of after a little while. The only other one that's ever come close has been um, Warframe. And I even dropped off of that eventually. I know you've been trying to get Katie to play it. If she plays it, I'll probably come back and play just to be able to play something else with her, well, too. Well, she wanted something to kill. And, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, Warframe's uh, probably the better uh, free-to-play shooter that you're not... Uh, a matter of fact, it's one of the few... Uh, PVE uh, free-to-play shooters I can think of that's free-to-play, you know? You, you usually yeah. don't run into uh, player versus environment. It's always uh, PvP. And it, it would give yep. her the perfect opportunity to learn how to play a shooter on PC. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah. I mean, I you know, I think Jim's on to the right idea. Unless you just find something that fits your personal taste, which it's your money, it's your time. If you like it, good for you i'm happy that you have a a game that you can enjoy but if you don't want to invest tons of money or tons of time in something try out a free play game play it for the first portion that's designed to get you hooked and then have the self-control to walk away like you said earlier rage don't get hooked or you know don't buy into the sunk cost fallacy just enjoy it while you have it and then when it's not fun anymore stop you have nothing you, you know you've got no money spent you haven't wasted any time because you were enjoying your time playing. So that was time well spent and no money spent at all. And then just move on to something else. Yeah, I would say uh, free-to-play MMOs may not be a bad one to get into to uh, try uh, for the early stuff. They're usually front-loaded with some pretty good content. Yeah, and usually if you're going to play an MMO solo, once you hit sort of the, the end game, it's no fun anyways. And most of the time I play MMO solo. Yeah, and uh, I had a thought while you're reading Jim's letter uh, that I have to share. All right, so uh, people that uh, pay in uh, to a lot to a game is uh, are called whales, and uh, small, uh, uh, you know, ones are uh, called dolphins, and uh, ones that barely put in anything are minnows. I had a, a idea for the completely free to play player, plankton. <laughs> Yeah, because oftentimes... They feed the whales. Yeah. The games are designed in such a way that, yeah, they feed the whales so that they can enjoy their power fantasy or whatever from spending so much money and or time. Yeah, and usually the minnows and the dolphins are the ones fighting it out. Yeah. And occasionally the plankton get caught in the crossfire. And, you know, if you're eating a, a you know, uh, minnows, I imagine that you get a few plankton in your uh, uh, meal as well. Yeah, hey, that that was random thought that I thought of uh, during that. But then again, you know, I am uh, slightly tired and uh, coming down with something, so random thoughts abound. Uh, and if you, you were to share your random thoughts, you could send them to vglpodcast at gmail.com or tweet them vglpodcast on the Twitter. 
Indeed. And given the fact that we have gone quite a bit longer than we intended to and that Rage is losing his voice, we're just going to go ahead and skip uh, Discovery Cube. Yeah, and also question and just uh, go immediately to the outro where you go first. Indeed. So over the holidays, I was busy and didn't get anything done. Uh, although talking about uh, KSP and stuff has made me think that um, I'm going to take the archive because I I believe I downloaded an archive of the RSS feed and put all of that stuff on my YouTube channel in it, just a, like a separate playlist uh, ad free so that anyone who wants to go and listen to the old episodes and doesn't want to try and dig through uh the internet archive or anything like that can just go find them easily yeah the problem is that, I'll just do uh, like they didn't uh do proper numbering at all on the file name so i would have to sit down whenever i created the archive i had to listen to every single one and i was uh, not wanting to put in that much effort yeah i i mean you know i don't put in very much effort in things most of the time but I'll just put it so it's easy to find. Um, otherwise, there's nothing on my channel right now. I'm getting back in the swing of things from the holidays. I actually saw clients today, so wait, 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 wait for the first you're, time. And you're a actually of doing weeks. something. Yeah, I'm doing stuff. I I, I feel like we need to alert the press. <laughs> Make, making that money again. Um. Anyways. If you want to go to my YouTube channel and see my older content and maybe dig through the Kerbalcast archive, you can do so by searching for Gaming Psychologist on the YouTubes. If you want to follow me on Twitter, where I tweet about all sorts of random things, you can do so by following me at JMA4707. Streams are coming back. Streams will be coming back, I believe, on Monday nights, I think is what I've settled on. Um, Which, I know that's not Fridays, but still with... Uh, Katie working mostly nights. Friday night is a big night for her, so I have to be kicked out of the office. So I'm thinking Monday nights for streams. And if you want to find the streams, come watch them, participate, play along, chat. You can do that over at twitch.tv slash jarthur4707. Also, if you want to be my friend on Steam, you can do so by sending a friend request to jarthur4707. I accept all friend requests and chat with all the lovely, lovely people. And if you wish to let them know exactly what episode of the podcast you're coming from, the password for this week is Space Monkey. <laughs> That's a good one. Space Monkey. Uh, so, uh, my YouTube channel is still very light on content. I just finished Never Alone just before the New Year's and took New Year's Day off to because yeah, timing would have just been annoying as hell. Plus, I had to actually figure out what I wanted to do and, uh, well, had uh, time to get into Herbal, get some uh, a few extra hours, and the week before that, uh, the Mega Sunday sampler that got hardly any views, but you know, that's kind of how my channel is these days, uh, took a lot of time, so I uh, you know, didn't get to get RimWorld up and running. So, plans are... Assuming my voice isn't completely gone tomorrow, record Civ. If not, uh, set it up uh, to go over the weekend and start next week. Finally get my playtime in uh, RimWorld to make sure that uh, is a stable build and start RimWorld in probably two weeks. 
And then try to track Jared down. Yay, track me down. <laughs> because I do want to get Divinity off uh, the uh, table. We do need to do that, yeah. We should wrap that game up. Yeah, uh, assuming we could even, uh, even remember what the hell we were doing. We'll figure it out. Oh, we'll just kill everyone. Eventually, we'll find the right one. <laughs> there you go. But Sunday Sampler should still be okay for this week. It's still going to be a light week uh, on game releases because, you know, Steam uh, uh, sale, even though the Steam Direct uh, bullshit is still uh, uh, flowing ever so nicely. Uh, yeah, so many bad games. Uh, why the hell do they take Steam Direct? Money. Oh, right. Well, at least it's not loot boxes. So you can find all that other nonsense at A Game With Caffeine Rage on the YouTubes. Or just find me tweeting occasionally uh, at Gaming With A C-R. Uh, so, let's see. Uh, uh, once again, if you wish to uh, contact us on uh, Gmail, it's vglpodcast at gmail.com. With your letters, voicemails, gaming-related topics, or just tweet us VGL Podcast. Our Patreon, which... Uh, kind of funny, I do the public service announcement uh, talking about how Patreon uh, is changing their fees. Uh, yeah, wanted to be a nice guy. Then they double back on it. So, uh, if you remember all that stuff I said a few weeks ago about Patreon changing their fees, uh, strike that, reverse it. They changed it yeah, back. At least for now. I mean, I understand their heart was in the right place, but they didn't uh, think uh, through because a lot of uh, uh, Patreon projects are supported by their lower donators. Yeah, a lot of people on the lower tiers. So uh, their heart was in the right place. Their brains weren't. But uh, if you wish to help us uh, help pay for our brains not being in the right place, you can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. If you need the show notes or want to get the RSS feed, it's vglpodcast.podbean.com, which has been supported by our lovely, lovely Patreon supporters. Or you can just find us on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or wherever Jared has stuck us. Our intro and outro music is On the Ground by Kevin McLeod. You can find his work at incomputech.com. And I'm going to go rest my voice now. <laughs> As always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice. Bye bye now. Oh, I, I think I need a lozenge. Also, Happy New Year, everyone. It's 2018. Maybe it'll be a smaller dumpster fire than 2017. Anyways, bye bye.